Hello, and welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and every episode I bring on a guest who selects a game that made an impact on their life. I am joined by a wonderful guest today. She is an artist, wildlife biologist, and one of the hosts of Pika Science, a podcast that studies the intersection of video games and science. It's Chelsea Connor. Chelsea, how are you today? I'm doing great. Um, It's a rainy day, which I love. So um, I've just been like in bed. I've made like three cups of tea at this point. And I'm having a great time. All right. Let's, let's, let's shoot for a cozy episode then. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, but before we get into the video game talk, for the people who don't have the pleasure of knowing you, Chelsea, what do you do and what do you like? Well, I like to describe myself as a multi-hyphenate wildlife biologist. At this point, I feel like I've done so many things and I am doing so many things in my career that that's the easiest way um, to describe it. So I am a herpetologist, uh, which means I study reptiles. I focus specifically on tropical ones because I am from the Commonwealth of Dominica, which is a small island in the Caribbean. So I kind of stick with what I know and love, um, the animals I grew up with. I am also a birder, which means that I watch birds for fun, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably a weird concept to some people. But I also... By nature of being a biologist, I also really love the science part of it. So I read papers for fun, (laughs) especially about birds and reptiles. And I also do science communication. So it's a lot of things under one title. (laughs) That's incredible. You do so many things and have such enthusiasm for all of this stuff. I don't think that being a you know, a birder is a particularly uh, strange thing. I actually, know a lot of people in real life who've got, gone to bird watching camps and things like that. So I don't think you you are alone in that uh, passion for yourself. Um, really quickly, uh, you know, you, you work you know with reptiles and everything. What would you say some of your favorite reptiles, birds, animals, creatures are? So for favorite bird, I'm always gonna go with um, a banana quit. They are a tropical passerine bird, so I saw them a lot. They were actually what uh, birders call a spark bird. Um, that's just like the first bird that you see that like gets you into birding and bird watching. So seeing those birds, um, they're also called sugar birds. So a lot of people like leave sugar out for them in the islands. So seeing them and seeing my grandma leave sugar out for them, observing their behaviors, I was like, this, this is a really cool bird. They're really cute. They look like they're frowning and upset all the time. I love that personally. I love a good, like, angry little guy. So, <laughs> like, that was it for me. Um, we also have endemic parrots. So those are also some of my, my favorite birds. Um, reptiles, I have a particular interest in anoles. There are over, like, 400 species of anoles across tropical regions. And they are these, like, small, typically small, tree-dwelling lizards. And they have this thing called a dewlap, which is a flap of skin under their throats that they can extend and retract and they use it to communicate with each other but like most importantly what people know it for is that the males use it to attract females they do (laughs) push-ups and they flap their dewlaps and they're like hey please look at me can we have babies together (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like uh you know you talked about animals from your home country and everything like that what got you into this biologist life like what sparked that passion for you I think it is just growing up on an island like that, um, being able to like go outside and see so many different species in in one area, being able to see so many like unique things. And I naturally was and still am curious. So I had so many questions. I remember like 
asking like why do the the banana quits act a certain way um why does the just ground lizard that we have um the creole name for it is abala so i would like ask like why why do abalas do this why do they lose their tails is it okay for them to lose their tails um <laughs> <laughs> like seeing uh sea urchins like move when a shadow passes over them like why are their spines moving? How do they know that there's a spine? Like I have those questions and mm-hmm. I wanted to get those questions answered and answering those questions made me realize I had more questions. Like how, like where, how do these things work? Like I want to get to like the, the root of everything. <laughs> and that is how I ended up here as a biologist. Cause now I'm, I'm doing research to answer questions about how things happened and how did the animals that we have in some parts of the Caribbean got there in the first place. No, yeah, that's that's wonderful. You turned, uh, you know, natural curiosity into a passion for a field, and that's that's always lovely to hear. I love it when people are able to pursue their passions and do all the things like that. And it also uh, explains, you know, the premise of the podcast that you're a part of, which is like basically trafficking in scientific information by also talking about your other interest, video games. Which brings me to my next question. As we know, no community mm-hmm. likes to gatekeep more than the gamers. <laughs> So we need to check your gaming credentials here at the top. You've proved the the science credentials, but now we have to prove the gaming credentials here. Let's talk about your gaming history. Uh, what got you into gaming? Uh, what was your relationship with gaming like across your lifetime? Let's let's hear about that aspect. What's your portrait of a gamer? Um. So initially, like gaming for me was like just like an easy thing to do to like get away from like a long day that I've had, things that I've done during the day, um, because like. My first experience of like a game, and I think it counts, is Snake. <laughs> Snake on the like Nokia phones. Like I'd take my dad's phone. Mm-hmm. My dad doesn't really care about like oh, the games on his phone. So like, I'd, like, can I borrow it? You don't use your phone anyway. <laughs> and I play Snake, and it's like I feel like I'm also naturally competitive. So like mm-hmm. my brother would have a high score, and I'm like, I need to beat his high score because I can't let that slide. And then we finally got a home computer one day and at some point my brother got an emulator and he got pokemon yellow mm-hmm. and i remember the first time i like play i started my own game and i got pikachu and he was following me around a little pixel pikachu following me around and i was like i want to do this forever <laughs> like this is this is it for me <laughs> this is what yeah. i want to do um, that was like my first like I guess real game was Pokemon Yellow, and I realized that like uh, not only do I love real life animals, I love fantasy animals as well, and I like thinking about how do they create these like unique ecosystems and worlds for these animals. Um, but also, I liked being able to like put myself into a whole different world where everything is different, where I have like all these cool powers. I already was really into Magical Girl anime. So it's like now I can like play through Magical Worlds. Oh, this is this is definitely the step up that I needed. So after Pokemon, I got into Metroid and Castlevania. Chrono Trigger is another game that I really love. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like everybody should play Chrono Trigger. If you haven't played it, please play it. I think the classic like side scroller games are my thing. And if not, then it's like the JRPGs, those little like pixel maps and you like pick where you're going. Um, those those really like resonated with me. And then I found out later as I grew up more that horror games were a thing, that those exist. And I'm like, 
I can play through my favorite kind of movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like a big part of gaming for me is like putting myself into into the story, which is why I think I love um, the game that we're going to talk about later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, I think I still stick with games that have like really big stories, but I also do just enjoy like traditional like fighting games. Um, I have played a lot of Street Fighter and Tekken. I think Tekken is probably my favorite fighting game. Oh. Um, I used to practice a lot because me again, me and my brother are really competitive. So if he like won like a couple matches more one day, I'd have to like spend a lot of time the next couple of days practicing chaining new moves <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I can't I can't let that stand. I can't let him win. Yeah. Um, and King of Fighters as well. I love King of Fighters. Yeah. Actually, haven't played King of Fighters in a while. And I kind of should, I should get it again. <laughs> I, I haven't played King of Fighters yet. That's one I really want to play. I've covered uh, Tekken 2 for the podcast previously. And I'm playing, I've, I've grown up around uh, Street Fighter. I played a lot of Street Fighter 4 when I was a teenager, Street Fighter 2, uh, a lot with friends. And I'm playing Street Fighter 6 right now. Really quickly, like what are your Street Fighter and Tekken mains? Oh, okay. So Street Fighter... Um, I think, I think I am a cami main. I try to, yes, I, me too. I try, me too. I try to pretend that I'm like, it's like, no, you know, it's probably some obscure characters. Like, no, it's cami. It's cami. Um, I like cosplay as well. So like cami is one of the cosplays that I have planned to do. Mm-hmm. And then for Tekken, I like Anna and Nina. Yeah. I feel like that's not what a lot of people would say. But I really do think Anna and Nina are like, for me, for the way that I play, I think Anna and Nina are great. Uh, my brother specifically hates when I play Anna against him. Because for the way that he plays, like Anna is like the perfect foil <laughs> for every character he picks. Yeah. I'm really good at chaining her moves too, so. <laughs> it seems like you've perfected Anna and like they're coping with the fact that they just don't know, so. I, I'd be afraid to face off against you. Um, <laughs> I'm also really bad at fighting games. I don't know why I play them because like when I'm doing single player, it's like, awesome, great. I'm the best. Any human person who has played this game for even 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, no, no, oh no. Yeah, no, I, okay, I went to an arcade recently with my partner and they had like the actual like arcade machine for it. And I was like, oh, oh, can we do that? And I don't even know how long I was there. I just remember him coming back with food and he's like, oh, you're still you're still at it. He's like, you know, you're playing someone on the other side, right? I was like, oh, I thought it was a computer. That's crazy. Oh, he's man. Like, no, there's someone on the other side. But you I think it's been a couple people, actually. I had mm-hmm. like I had not realized that I had beat a couple like actual people at that point. The competitive I was just, spirit. Like, yeah. I was like, I can't let this computer beat me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, going back to the Pokemon thing of it, I mean, you you're, you do a Pokemon podcast. A uh, few Pokemon related questions we can knock out here. Uh, first one being like, what's your favorite region or generation? Um, ooh, favorite region. I'm gonna have to say, um, uh, this current one. Um, mm-hmm. I I have been obsessively playing, um, Pokemon Scarlet. <laughs> I adore all of the Pokemon in it. Uh, okay, not all of them, but most of them. And I didn't think that I would like ever find a new Pokemon region that I absolutely adored more than the like original. Um, I hate to be like one of those people that's like, yeah, no, Gen 1 is the best. But Gen 1 is just like really nostalgic for me. Of course, it was your first. Yeah. So I'm like definitely 
I'm definitely like really attached to that one. Mm. I think Johto is another one um, that I really like because I I think it's mostly because it's mostly because of Totodile. Oh, Totodile's I, great. Like I, where is my phone? I have like a little shiny Totodile on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like I I adore Totodile. He's he's a great Pokemon. No notes. <laughs> no notes. That brings me to my next question. Do you is Totodile your favorite Pokemon, or is there another one that you? I mean, like, obviously, like, that's like picking your favorite child, but it really is because, um, despite like you know, liking the starter, I am a big ghost Pokemon fan, so I like I love Totodile, but then there's like five ghost Pokemon, and I'm like, these are all also great. Um, I really like Sinistee, Mimikyu, uh, Gengar is like standard, (laughs) you have Mm -hmm. to, I mean, like, anybody who says that they like ghost Pokemon, you have to like Gengar. I like. Is it Pumpkaboo, the little pumpkin one? I do. Yeah. I do really like them as well. Um, and I also like Haunter. And I feel like Haunter doesn't get enough love. <laughs> Haunter's great. Uh, I mean, Haunter's I love great. all the Pokemon described are great. Um, and for, I have a little plushie you know, of him up here in my like the net of plushies. He's oh, yeah. Somewhere in the top hiding next to Mimikyu. <laughs> that's that's great. How does the does it have the hands too? Or like are they like sewn on to him? Or? He has the hands and they're sewn on to him. Okay. Like if I knew where he was exactly. I would show you, but the hands are sewn on and then they put like beads in his like little curved body so he can attempt to sit, but he doesn't really sit because he's curved. (laughs) They tried. (laughs) No, I mean, you did say like, you know, Gen 1's the best, but most of the Pokemon you described are past the first generation. So I think you've established a cred there that you have this, you know, big love for all these kinds of Pokemon. I'm assuming you'd be a ghost type gym leader if given the option. I would be. Um, so much so that I commissioned a Pokemon artist to draw me and my partner as ghost-type gym leaders. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that is actually my phone background. Oh, nice. Um, and then I commissioned them again for another one where we are picking fruit from Tropius, which is another Aww. Pokemon that I adore. Um, I, I love their design. Something about a dinosaur with banana leaves for wings just really... I feel like it gets me. <laughs> a flying tropical reptile. I mean, it's a bird. It's a, it's a reptile. It's, it's the tropic. It, it, it's a Pokemon it's that's everything. home to you, probably. <laughs> everything in one. That's No, I mean, that's great. I love uh, the third generation, the Ruby Sapphire, Emerald generation the most personally. But my favorite Pokemon, uh, I have my Pokemon plushes in the back here, uh, is Ampharos and that <gasps> evolutionary line. Um, so, yeah, that, that's me. Ampharos is adorable. Ampharos is great. It's but, a good like, Pokemon thinking about like the pokemon i love overall it's like definitely generation three where you have your absol you have uh flygon salamence you have blaziken trico that evolution the, the i think those three starters are probably okay, like trico, pound for pound maybe the best you you got me with trico i love yeah. a, i love a good lizard pokemon because i feel like there's not enough lizard pokemon so like yeah. trico as a starter i was like oh finally a lizard like i finally like chose something that wasn't a water type i was like i will choose the grass type i'll choose trico <laughs> I have a question for you about this as a, you know, b- Pokemon biologist. Uh, would you consider all dragon type Pokemon to be reptilian? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <there's> all, <laughs> yeah. No, if we go like based off of mythology, dragons are based on lizards to begin with. So I am, I'm grouping them all as lizards, um, except for like dragon types, like Swablu and Gumi, like those are we're not fringe Gumi, like yeah. it means like final levels like those are not where you, they're fine they're fine they're just right. they're not reptilian altaria so. is not a dragon <laughs> no yes 
But no, yeah, I, that is interesting now that I'm like talking about this. Uh, there's a whole dedicated reptile type and not everything necessarily has like the scale yeah. and everything that you, yeah. Yeah. Like I thought about this a lot. It's like, I love the dragon types. And then like, they were like, Alteria is dragon type. And I was like, okay, um, it's a bird. Birds are technically reptiles. So that's fine. And then like Gudra, I was like, that's, that's enough. You're doing a lot. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting when a Pokemon is, you know, reptilian and not a dragon type, like your Totodiles, your Tricos, your Kecleons, um, I'm trying to think, uh, my boy, uh, Crocodile, uh, got all those. <laughs> I'm sorry, Crocodile is a good one. It's a great one. I really, it's that's one of my favorite. It's design as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, he's so cool. <laughs> I forgot to mention this, but I also uh, do art. So, like, a lot of Pokemon that I like are just purely aesthetic. It's just, like, I like the way that it looks. It probably sucks. It's mm-hmm. weak. But if the moves are, like, the, um, sorry, the aesthetics are good, I appreciate it. Like, those are the two things I go off of. Like, is it a cool Pokemon that I can actually use? Or is it aesthetically pleasing? Yeah, I never really go for stats, even though, like, I have done IV, EV training before, especially as it's become easier across generations. But my main thing is, like, it's it's a vibes-based process for me. I'm not a competitive player. I am just here for the world. And going back to your other point about how you played these games for the first time on an emulator, which rocks, when, when that was like your way of playing games, how did you discover the video games that you wanted to play and like sort of inform your taste from that? So um, my brother was mainly the one who would look them up. And I, mm-hmm. like, for a while, didn't know how he'd do it. He'd just, like, be like, oh, I got some new games. And I'm like, where are you getting these from? I don't understand. It's, like, magic. And he explained <laughs> to me that he'd, like, literally just, like, Google. <laughs> Google games for, like, this console. Um, you know, and and um, look up on YouTube, like, if anyone has, like, talked about it at all. Because they didn't do playthroughs yet. But people would talk about, like, oh, yeah, there's this game that I like. And blah, blah, blah. Or, like, um what's the website name like walkthrough something it's like an old walkthrough website where they would talk about the game and then they'd like tell you how to like get through the entire game and get all the items and he would like spend so much time reading those to understand like what the game is about mm-hmm. and from there he would get like he'd be like all right cool i'm downloading this i'm gonna find it and we're gonna get we're playing this game so i started to do that for myself and the first one, I was like, okay, I'm going to do an easy one. I did Han- a Hamtaro game. I think it was Ham Ham Heartbreak. <laughs> uh, I had the Game Boy Color uh, Hamtaro game as a kid. Oh, I want to get that one. Um, Ham my Ham's Unite, I think it was called. Got me- yes. Um, and my partner recently got me a Cardcaptor Sakura Game Boy Color. So oh. I like can get the physical game now. <laughs> Instead of an emulator. <laughs> <laughs> no, I-, I had the cartridge. Like I got it- I remember like it was Christmas of 2000. 2000- two probably i got a game boy advance and uh, one of the games was uh ham hams unite uh the game boy color game so that was one of the formative video games for me but yeah like playing games off an emulator so we can go sort of going off that taste uh i'm trying to remember like the walkthrough websites like game facts was what i would go to on as a kid getting walkthroughs uh and still for a lot of games that came out before 2010 that's still my main place of finding walkthroughs but i don't know yeah i think i think it was game facts i'm trying to like look it up because i remember the logo distinctly i just don't remember the name of it because i remember oh. seeing that logo so much it is game facts yes the g okay there we <laughs> the go G with the line through it. <laughs> <laughs> seeing it unlocked like a core memory yeah this is it 
there. Yeah, no, that got me through so many games as a kid. Still gets me through some games now I play for the show. Uh, spoilers for later. Um, <laughs> I love it when these people would make these like elaborate, detailed walkthroughs. I think it's an art form, and I think that's being lost in like the homogenization of the internet where everything is like you have yeah. to look it up on Reddit and get a less formal answer for a lot of stuff. It was also better for finding like those like, you know, really secret, secret things that people would put into games. Um, yeah. Like, you know, like you have to like answer this question like yes and then no and then no two more times and then yes again. And then it unlocks a thing. Like, I feel like we've like lost some of that. I feel mm-hmm. like the, the, like um, people who, who make games, the, de- the developers definitely still put in things like that. But it's just different. It just doesn't feel the same. You know, when they like finally read the walkthrough and they're like, oh, here are all the secrets that you can unlock in here and the special items yeah. that you can find in hidden places. Finding it all collected in one place, like in one organized area, mm-hmm. in a place that isn't like an official strategy guide you have to buy for 20 bucks at a store. <laughs> like that, that is such a valuable resource. And again, like now that everything's like you have to go on a Discord server maybe to find some information, but not everything is infuriating. Like having grown up with that and then finding out later um, after I moved to America that they make and sell strategy guides, I was like, people pay for that? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And you, you start it with the emulator, but like, um, I'm sure, you know, also moving to America where like you, you said, like there is access to more video game resources. Did you get into console gaming? What would you say your favorite consoles are? Yeah, I, uh, before I left, I, I got into console gaming because, like, my brother got a PlayStation 2 when it came out. It was, like, a big deal for us. Mm-hmm. And initially, like, the first game that we had was, like, some weird dino shooting game. <laughs> I don't remember the name of it, but, like, literally, like, you ended up in this, like, uh, Is it Dino Crisis? <laughs> I think it is Dino Crisis. Let me look it up. Oh my god, yeah, it is! <laughs> <laughs> Another Capcom game. Oh my god. Uh, Capcom is like 80% of my life, I feel like, at this point. <laughs> but, like, it was it was so weird because, like, it was the only game that we had while we were waiting for the other, like, game that we wanted to come in. Because, again, leaving on a tiny Caribbean island, you'd have to, like, specifically, like, import a thing sometimes. And it's not going to take forever. So you can't just do one. You might as well wait until you have multiple things. Because then it's more cost effective. So Mm -hmm. we would play this game over and over. We beat it so many times just waiting. (laughs) And it was such... It was still so much fun. It was such a big deal. And then... um, I don't remember the first game he got after that was. But like from there, we got PS3. And then we got the PS4. I have my own PS4. He got a PS5. Um, I haven't yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Um, <laughs> but before I left home, I like I got my own Nintendo DS. I had a DS Lite. He got it for me. He was like, oh, you want to, you, you'd like this. Here is the DS Lite. As like my first own console that was all mine. And it's like so special. Nice. And he got me like Mario Hoops, three on three. Nice. And Another great game. I, Oh my god, I love it so much. I unlocked every character. I am so annoying as a player with it. Because <laughs> I know all the moves. I know all the special shots. So like, oh, hey, nobody can beat me at this. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a My Sims Kingdom. Which I think is fun. It's it's cool. Um, I don't play it as much as I used to. But then eventually I got the DSi. 
and uh, I have like Castlevania. I I don't remember which one it is, but I have like the Castlevania for DS. It's in my room somewhere too. I'm trying to remember. Like, there's Dawn of Sorrow and Aria of Sorrow. I think Dawn of Sorrow is the DS one, and maybe Aria of. I think it's yeah. Dawn of Sorrow. Aria of Sorrow is the Game Boy Advance one, and then Dawn of Sorrow is on the DS. Yeah, it's Dawn of Sorrow, and I think I picked it up recently and then put it down somewhere else because I'm not seeing it in the stack of DS games that I, I have over here. But then he got me um, a Professor Layton game, mm-hmm. and I love puzzles. I love like physically doing puzzles, but like I didn't realize that like you could have like a game that's all puzzles on a console. And getting that, it was like, oh, okay, all right. There's a story and I do puzzles. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was everything. I was like, all right, cool. So I'm working my way through the series currently. Um, and right now I have the 3DS, but I also have a Switch. Um, I have the Switch Lite and my partner has like the Switch. And I think the Switch is my favorite console. It's a great console. Everything that I've gone through, I love them all. Appreciate them. The Switch is it's not perfect, but it's great. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. There's definitely flaws, and we've gone over the, the, the flaws of it on the show before. But no, I mean, ultimately, it is a game. It is a console that has a lot to offer for a lot of people, and the form yeah. factor of being able to take it with you is priceless, yes. even if the, the Joy-Cons suck shit so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. The first, When they like did that initial release of it, they were like, oh, new console coming out of the Switch. And like it becomes hell. I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> it's like is that gonna be any good and then i got one and i was like oh no it is it's it's so good <laughs> it's great what do you mean i'm on the bus playing pokemon and then i can come home and just like plug it into my tv and now i'm playing the same thing on t- like that just like for some reason i don't know doing it on the switch like just blows my mind like i i took the amtrak for the first time recently and just the the realization of like oh, wow, I forgot that my Switch is a portable object that I can take with me on the go and enjoy on this 15-hour train ride is, God, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, I should pick up my DS again and play this game, and then I just pick up my Switch instead. I'm like, ah, oh, time to check out my island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like time that, but with... Crossing. <laughs> I'm like that, but with books, like when I like back to the train ride things, like I can't play the switch for this entire train ride. I have to <laughs> actually read some of the books I brought with me. We've gone all the way from like your first experience with uh, emulators going all the way to uh, the Nintendo switch here. What have you been playing lately? Um, aside from consistently replaying, <laughs> uh, like I've been shiny hunting in Pokemon Scarlet. I yeah, I'm one of those people. I need to complete the Pokédex, and then once I've completed the Pokédex, I'm like, okay, can I have every every shiny Pokemon, please? Mm-hmm. Which kind of sucks because like some of the shinies are not great in that you know they're only like a slight variation in color from the original one. So it's really difficult sometimes to like be in the world and then like the lighting changes as the day goes right so sometimes i'm like are these all the same color i can't tell so i have to do like every encounter to try to figure (laughs) out if it's (laughs) if it's a shiny or not because the color is only like one tone off it's only like one shade lighter than the original it's like oh man three shinies and a a regular no and they're all just like the regular ones The lighting was just hitting it differently (laughs) um i also like recently i got um klonoa Klonoa is another series that I really love. It was like 
the first one I played was I think was on an emulator again. <laughs> I'm so sorry to Nintendo for it. <laughs> hey, I mean we are pro however you can play a video game here, so do what you gotta. Yeah, it was Empire of Dreams was the mm-hmm. first one I played. That was for Game Boy Advance. And I was obsessed. <laughs> I was obsessed with it. I played it all the time when I wasn't like playing Pokemon. Um, and then I don't know why, but I stopped for a, for some time. And I remembered like, oh man, what what Klonoa game is out recently? Um, and they recently released the Fantasy Reverie series um, for like PS4. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so I got that. <laughs> and I've been playing that. And I missed it so much. I didn't think I would mi- I would have missed it that much. But playing it again, the nostalgia is flooding back into my body. Everything feels right with the world. <laughs> yeah. With uh, the way that like the gaming industry has changed, we just don't have cute animal video games like that anymore. Yeah. Your Banjo-Kazooie's, your... You, even like stuff that's like fringe, like tie the Tasmanian Tiger. They just don't make things to that extent anymore. I miss Sly Cooper, man. Bring Sly Cooper back. <laughs> Yeah, I want like an obscure like amalgamation of three different animals that has like really <laughs> a really weird gaming system. Like what what is Klonoa doing with this ring? This ring doesn't make any sense, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know what animal he is, but it's great. We're just side scrolling. There's just like little things called moos. Why are they called moos? Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. Love it. I love it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Inscrutable. It's great. I've been recently uh Immediately after wrapping up the game that we were talking about today, I Mm -hmm. moved on to another RPG, uh, the Switch remake of Super Mario RPG. So I'm working through that, and it's a lot of fun. I played the original a little bit uh, back when it was uh, downloadable on the Wii. Uh, This goes all the way back to the Super Nintendo, the original. But uh, no, this this, this remake is beautiful and gorgeous, and the music by Yoko Shimomura is just incredible. So I am playing that, and I'm going to talk about it in a future episode of the show. So... Oh, Y'all it hear looks my... good. Yeah, it's great. I've never played it. You gotta. Um, especially if you love the, this era of RPG. It's short, but like it's gorgeous. Yeah, I, I've played like a lot of Mario games, I feel like. But for some reason, I have not played the Super Mario RPG. I'm gonna have to do that. Go for it. Yeah, I love the RPGs in the, the, Mario, the, the Mario and Luigi series on the Game Boy Advance. And DS, 3DS, going to that. The first two Paper Mario games are great, uh, and they're re-releasing the Thousand Year Door on the Switch soon too. So, I, I find them to be very fun. Yeah, no, I um, I think the Mario franchise overall has done like a really good job of being consistently fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's some like video game series where at some point you're like, okay, that's enough. We've had enough of you. But like Mario is just like it's one of those things that I feel like it's just, it's classic. It's always fun. Um, even when they're being entirely silly, like it's it's a good amount of silly. Like I adore Waluigi so much. It's mm-hmm. a good character. It's a good character design. A good character. <laughs> if he's a choice in any game, I'm choosing him. Yeah, no. Uh, you go on Mario Kart 8 uh, Deluxe Online on the Switch. It's just a million Waluigi's racing each other because I guess he's the meta. I guess he's the meta character that like is has the consistently best stats. <laughs> so it's like. Oh god, it's 11 Waluigi's <laughs> and me who just wanted to play the game. <laughs> okay, now I have to get it so that I can yeah. also be one of these rogue Waluigi's. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, we talked about some games that did, did mean a lot to you throughout your life. Um, 
when you approached me for the show, you also floated the idea of talking about a, a secret of mana. Before we get into today's game, uh, do you want to use this little space here to talk about some other games that mean a lot to you? Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned Professor Layton briefly earlier when we're talking about different um, consoles. Um, Professor Layton is like, I think it's tied to the fact that like, my brother had been gone for a really long time and he came back and he was like, here is the DS. And also I got you this game and one of them was Professor Layton. But like, just like playing it and like going through those puzzles and like talking to him about the puzzles, it just like built a deep connection for me with Professor Layton. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised because I like, despite liking puzzles, I know I really like games that have like action in them. I can do something, I can like fight I can like you know travel to a different worlds, but like Professor Layton is very much just like a regular guy. <laughs> he's just a guy that likes puzzles, and he's just going around solving puzzles. It's a really really simple premise. They like give you a story, and then as you just you go through the story, finding out what happened. But as you're doing it, you're solving puzzles. It's so simple, and it's executed so well every single game. To me, it is like a top tier game like i would recommend it to everybody if you need like a good cozy game to play something that's going to give you like a really cute story it's going to make you feel good for like just like even a simple accomplishment you're like you don't have a lot of time or like lots of like long um gameplay like exhausts you professor layton has like um you solve this puzzle it's not long till next puzzle and you can choose the difficulty of the puzzles as well you can skip puzzles and come back to them later because they save the puzzles for you. There's like really no pressure in this game. Like it's really just like we want you to enjoy the story and have fun. Um, I feel like like sometimes you definitely need that. And I definitely was like to have that time and to like start off like playing it and share that with my brother after he'd been like off at school for like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back to visit. It was like, yeah, this is this is great. This is nice. Yeah. And what about the Secret of Mana? Secret of Mana is just me being a fucking um, JRPG nerd. Yeah. Anything that has like mythology and like you have magic powers, I'm like, this is great. This is fantastic. But something about the story of um, of Secret of Mana, I just like is like hyper fixated on it. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been a while since I played it, so I don't remember the entire story. But the the like hero's journey is always going to be something for me that I feel like I'm like, yes, I need to need to follow a character as they discover how like, you know, they have this like hidden power in them and they're gonna be the best that they can be. It's like Legend of Zelda. That's what every Legend of Zelda is. Link is like, oh, I'm a hero, and you like follow him on his journey to to become the hero of Hyrule. That is like I feel like Secret of Mana is like one of the like precursors of legend of zelda for me because i didn't get to legend of zelda until later um like much later in life and my brother liked legend of zelda but for some reason for me i looked at it and i was like eh i also like really like the monster design in secret of mana um again i'm really into like the art part of things too so like i love a silly little guy so like the rabbits um i think they're called in secret yeah it's rabbi yeah um in secret of mana i'm just like this this is the perfect guy to start the game off they're like the lower level enemy that you meet again the fantasy thing where you use magic powers i i wish magic was real i wish i could do this i'm sold (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
it's a series I've never gotten to play, but I remember seeing so much of it throughout the years and people holding it up as like one of like the the best as Super Nintendo uh, games ever. And then like talking up the rest of the series uh, to an extent. And it's been getting re-released lately, as I understand it, too. So I was just like, this is the time. And it just like never pans out. But eventually I will play these games. Any other uh, games that mean uh, a lot to you? Um, oof, games that mean a lot to me. I've already mentioned Pokemon. I feel like Pokemon is like a big part of my life. Uh, me and my partner adore Pokemon, as evidenced by the million plushies that I have in here, aside from the Triceratops. Uh, but I think Kirby. <laughs> Kirby is another video game series that I adore um, for n- no other reason that it it's just a he's just a cute pink guy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really do anything but eat and be cute. And that is incredibly charming to me. And apparently I'm not the only person who thinks so because he's very big across the world. I don't it means so much to me. And it's literally just because he's just a little pink guy and mm-hmm. I adore him. And that's he's just that's a little it. guy. That's it. He's just a little guy. I just love little I love like characters that are just little guys. You can't underestimate the the <laughs> marketing and allure of a little guy. Uh, I mean, you see people obsessed with Snoopy everywhere. You see people obsessed with yeah. Hello Kitty, Kirby. Um even the minions, to an extent, are like appealing to the little guy mode. But <laughs> I would not put minions in little guy category. No, I don't know why, but I hate the minions so much. It's like a strong visceral reaction for me every time I see a minion. I'm like, Ugh. no, they're not for me. With apologies to Nick Weiger, they're not for me. But um, it's no, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> It gave illumination to Cloud to make the Super Mario Brothers movie was that I was about to say, but I was like, I don't really like the Super Mario Brothers movie that much. So. I haven't seen it. I've been avoiding it. I feel like every friend I have who has seen it has not loved it either. So I've just been like, uh, yeah, I'm probably just never going to see it. I'll, like, I'll watch it eventually, but I didn't love the trailer. Aside from like Jack Black's um, Bowser voice, I didn't really like the trailer, I'll be honest, as well. No, yeah, no, like, it, it's got its moments. Uh, Jack Black's great in it. The music uh, by Brian Tyler is great in it. The movie itself is like, this is a movie that is for kids, made by a kid's studio, I, and I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> it doesn't do anything terrible. It's just not good <laughs> to me. Yeah. But hey, let's celebrate video games instead we've talked about all these rpgs that mean so much to you whether they're pokemon things with creatures uh the secret of mana series but in spite of all of that in spite of your passion and love for all these things the game that you ultimately settled on was breath of fire Breath of Fire is a turn-based role-playing game developed by Capcom for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. This is the third Capcom game I've covered on the show, the first being Resident Evil 4, and the second being Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Uh, In addition to those franchises, Capcom is also known for other franchises such as Mega Man, Street Fighter, Dead Rising, Devil May Cry, and Monster Hunter. Breath of Fire was Capcom's first RPG that they ever made. Some notable people who worked on the game include the game's artist, uh, Kiji Inafune and Tatsuya Yoshikawa. Kiji Inafune is mainly 
known for being the character designer of the early Mega Man games, going on to be a producer for the series throughout the 90s and 2000s. Uh, he did the character designs and illustrations for Breath of Fire. Tetsuya Yoshikawa worked on the in-game graphics for the first two Breath of Fire games and went on to become a character designer for the rest of the series. Uh, Yoshinori Takanaka, Yoshinori Kawano, and Makoto Ikihara were the game's planners. Kawano would go on to co-write and direct Dead Rising in 2006. The game's producer, Tokuro Fujiwara, known for creating and directing Capcom games like Ghost and Goblins, Bionic Commando. He produced this game, and portraits of Arthur from Ghost and Goblins can actually be seen in this game. There's lots of little Capcom references in this game itself. Uh, the game's sound effects were created by Tetsuya Nishimura, who would often use the pseudonym Eni in the game's credits. The music of the game was composed by Capcom's house band Alpha Lila, composed of Mari Yamaguchi, Mine Fuji, Yasuaki Fujita, and Yoko Shimomura. Yoko Shimomura is one of my very favorite video game composers. In addition to her work on this game, she was also the co-composer for Street Fighter II, and would go on to become the composer of many RPGs, including Live Alive, Super Mario RPG, Parasite Eve, Legend of Mana, the Kingdom Hearts series, and the Mario and Luigi series. All this is to say, uh, some very talented people with very impressive resumes who would go on to work on so much iconic stuff and worked on iconic stuff in the past were people working on this game. Talking about the game's story very quickly, Breath of Fire is set in a fantasy world composed of clans of anthropomorphic creatures. Chief among them are the Dragon Clan, who primarily take the form of humans but possess the power to transform into powerful dragons. A schism over the powerful goddess Tyr, uh, who has the power to grant wishes, divided the clan into two factions, the Light Dragons and the Dark Dragons. Tyr was delighted and entertained by the fighting, encouraging it as much as she could, provoking the Goddess War, which brought the world to the brink of annihilation. The conflict was finally put to an end when the Light Dragon sealed Tyr away using six elemental keys that were scattered across the world. So powerful are these keys, in fact, that they changed the landscape of their resting place. Tyr was sealed away, but the conflict between the Light and Dark Dragons carried on for thousands of years, with the Dark Dragons hunting the Light Dragons, driving down their numbers and forcing them to hide in their human forms in isolated communities. One such village, Drogon, great name guys, uh, is the home of our <laughs> protagonist Ryu and his sister Sarah, two orphans. One night, Ryu awakens to find his village under attack and on fire by invading dark dragons. Ryu's sister Sarah, a powerful priestess, uses her powers to protect her village and draw the dark dragon forces away from her home and, importantly, her younger brother Ryu. She's taken prisoner by the Dark Dragons, and their leader, Emperor Zog, makes it known that he's going to collect the six goddess keys in order to free Tyr and control the world. Intent on saving his sister and the world, Ryu sets out on a quest to save his sister and the world by finding the goddess keys. Along the way, he encounters other clans and members of those clans to join him on his world-saving quest, including Nina, a princess with angel wings, Bo, a wolf-like warrior, Karn, a thief, Gobi, a fish-like merchant, Ox, an ogre and a blacksmith, Blue, an immortal witch with a serpent-like lower body, and Mogu, a mole-like creature. Shenanigans ensue. Breath of Fire was released on the Super Nintendo in North America on August 10th, 1994. Other games released in 1994, like this game, include Demon's Crest and Mega Man X, both of which were Capcom games, Donkey Kong Country, Doom 2, Earthworm Jim, Final Fantasy VI, which at the time was known as Final Fantasy III in the West, 
uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 3, Sonic and Knuckles, Super Metroid, System Shock, The Elder Scrolls Arena, and Warcraft Orcs and Humans. Uh, before we move forward, uh, have you played any of these games, Chelsea? Elder Scrolls, uh, Mega Man X, and... Um, oh, not me forgetting again. Metroid? Super Metroid? Metroid. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, how am I forgetting Metroid? Yeah, I've played those three. I really like the Elder Scrolls. I think at this point it's just very obvious. I'm just a big fantasy nerd. I mean, yeah, and the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim is very dragon forward, so I can imagine that yes. being an appeal. Oh yeah. my god, I was I was right there of all of the memes. Oh my god, <laughs> I was one of those annoying people on Facebook posting those memes. I'm so sorry for my crimes um, <laughs> during that time. People, ha- I mean, like everybody was doing it, and that's why I got driven into the ground. The arrow to the knee someone stole my sweet roll i was trying not to say it. we gotta acknowledge it it was all but said and i'll i'll take the hit i'll take the hit to the knee so to speak (laughs) (laughs) you laughed yeah i i think i went back at us at some point and i hid every post because i was like no i don't ever want anybody to clock me as one of those people i've done (laughs) enough i've done enough damage to the community (laughs) We were all cringe in 2012. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Point is, it was a very stacked year with a lot of important, informative, and legendary video games coming out around this time. The gameplay of Breath of Fire takes the form of an turn-based RPG where you navigate menus to defeat the threats you randomly encounter across the world and in various dungeons. Sort of a Dungeons and Dragons kind of, whatever. Um, Each member of your party possesses unique abilities and skills that not only serve a purpose in battle, but also out of battle as well, which I found to be very unique and engaging. Being able to overcome obstacles, neutralize traps, and more. We'll get into the details of the gameplay in a bit, but first, like I said, stacked year for video games. What made you want to talk about Breath of Fire over any other video game, Chelsea? Well, I think between Breath of Fire and Secret of Mana, and I forgot to mention when we briefly talked about Secret of Mana, like while I really loved um, the aspect of like they have these elemental spirits, like it's just like, ooh, elemental spirits is so cool and fun. Um, Breath of Fire was the one that I played first. It was like my first like full length JRPG that I actually completed <laughs> the first time I played it. And it was a really like proud moment for me to complete it, but also the story to me, to me, I don't want to get jumped by a Secret of Mana fan. Um, the story to me felt better. It felt like it was more thought out, um, like it was written with love and care, and the gameplay through the story and the the characters that you play as and that join you through the story made more sense to me. And they felt more authentic. And the relationships that they built as you play through this game felt more authentic to me. And the, like at the time, I was like kind of working through some things of my own regarding like, you know, friends, having friends, making friends, um, and like seeing on screen that like the friendships that you you can have. They sometimes take some time to build. Sometimes you meet someone and they're not initially your friend. That's fine. And mm-hmm. then you you work to the point where you do become friends and you work together and you help each other out however you can. Like that was a personal like connection for me. Yeah, I understand that totally. You talked about this being one of the first of this genre that you've played before. Uh, did you play this on an emulator? How did you first play it? 
I did play it on an emulator. So sorry mm-hmm. again. <laughs> no, don't apologize. I mean, <laughs> access and affordability and everything like that. Like you talked about the fact that like where you're from, what you had available to you was sort of at the whim of what was imported. So you have no yeah. reason to apologize whatsoever. I mean, most people shouldn't apologize for, you know, pirating video games anyway, but that's a whole you especially have every right. <laughs> And it clearly means a lot to you, so whatever. Yeah, it mean no, it definitely means a lot to me. And you know, if I could now like purchase the game, like and the console, I would, I would do it. Um, but you know, it's available on Switch, so why would I do that? <laughs> yeah, it's legal to do it that way. Yeah, but like that's that's how I could play it. Getting home from school on a Friday because my mom was like kind of iffy about letting me like play games during the weekdays because I have school the next day but getting home on a Friday and tossing my backpack in my room um I went to Catholic school so every every school on my island has uniforms um Catholic schools are more strict about their uniforms so like taking off my uniform and putting on like comfortable pants and an oversized t-shirt and sitting in front of the computer and starting it up that was like all right, school sucked. <laughs> I didn't have anyone to like talk to, but that's okay. It's fine because I can play this game and I can be someone else in this world and everything's going to be fine. That's lovely. And having a game that means so much to you is the whole point of talking about video games on this show. I love to hear people's experiences and how they come into games. Like, do you remember like how this game was discovered? Was it something your brother found? Like, do you remember that? Yeah, so my brother found this one, and I initially wasn't going to play it. I was like, oh, of course you got another, like, weird macho game that doesn't make any sense, blah, blah, blah. And then I went back to playing Metroid. Now, if the timeline of us playing these games doesn't make sense to you, again, it is an emulator, and we are just downloading games. (laughs) So, again, I don't remember what year it is, but, like, at that point, we were just, like, we have couple different emulators we get whatever game we can at the time and i went back to play metroid and i lost that level um for it was metroid fusion and for that game when you like lost the level you lose all your lives her suit comes off and i thought it was a girl and i was like there's girls in games (laughs) (laughs) wait there's women in video games hold on a minute this is news to me And I told my brother, and he didn't believe me. I was like, no, this is definitely a girl. Samus is a girl. I know she is. I saw her. Why would a man have (laughs) hair like that? It doesn't make sense. Those pixels, those pixels are a girl. (laughs) And he's like, well, if you want to play a game with girls in it, like, there's a girl at some point in Breath of Fire. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) at some point, continue. (laughs) Some point. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, all right. She's like, yeah, it has magic. You like magic stuff. I was like, all right, I guess I'll try. She is, in fact, a magical girl. <laughs> she is a magical girl. And I do adore me a magical girl. I love her chapter superhero. So I started started playing it. And um, the beginning where he, like, wakes up and there's a fire. And I'm like, what's going on? A fire? They just throw us into a fire in a building? That's crazy. It's wild. And... Um, his sister like sacrifices herself, like turns them all to stone, and sacrifices herself so that she can make sure that they're safe. And he starts his journey, starts his hero's journey, and I'm like, this is kind of fun. Like I have to talk to people and I have to like explore and discover things. And there's a whole like overworld map 
I'm like, okay, this is actually, I'm actually very interested. And the mm-hmm. monster design was really good. The first slime, I was like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> um, today, if I had to pick a top tier slime, I'd pick the Dragon Quest slime. Best That's slime. A perfect slime. Perfect slime. No notes. Best slime in gaming. <laughs> yeah. The, the slime, I was like, eh. But then as we got further into it and we saw more of the monsters, it's like, okay, they knew what they were doing. And um, some of the names make more sense in Japanese. Like the Japanese version of their names make more sense. Yeah. As always. But like the monster design, the like storyline, like him, like going through you being able to play as other characters, like not just him. And you're not like stuck with Ryu the whole time. Like when I got to, to play as the girl, I was like, ah. <laughs> I'm a yeah. girl with wings. This is nice. This is this fun. Is I'm having fun. a great time. <laughs> that's That's great. Uh, yeah, no, like it does have a lot of heart and put into its designs and work. Um, like I said, like they had like the Mega Man guy working on this thing. One of the bosses even looks like a robot master. It's crazy. I never played this game before you pitched it for the show. And I'm really glad I did because I love a good RPG. This has a lot of interesting points to engage with. And it really means a lot that you have like such a, you know, connection with it and like having this like a, specific of a thing with um having played it on an emulator do you remember if you played the game boy advance version or the super nintendo version on emulator? super nintendo version oh interesting and yeah it's also very funny that you uh <laughs> discovered the samus is a girl thing in a completely different cultural context than everyone else did that's great <laughs> um but yeah no we will talk about the great bits of um breath of fire in a moment but first we got to do a segment that we do every episode called no country for old games Now, the subject of video game preservation means a great deal to me because I believe that video games are an art form and create experiences that leave some kind of impact on the people who play them, as evidenced by our conversation already so far. Unfortunately, this doesn't mean the same to publishers who have historically struggled with keeping older games on modern hardware. As time goes on, games that were once readily available to purchase and play become more and more difficult to acquire. So in this segment, we rate the game that we talk about on a scale of A to ARG. And ARG is a frustration of how difficult it is to acquire a game and is not me covertly advocating for piracy, which is illegal. <laughs> Let's just drop the pretense for this episode of the bit because we've already talked about how important and foundational emulation was to your video game journey and experience. Yes. And in your case, it was necessary. Something that we don't talk about too much on the show is in the accessibility conversation is regional availability it came up a little bit with hamish because hamish grew up in europe uh, where a lot of video games just were not made available especially rpgs until much 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 later if at all but it's in your case especially it's like they don't have specific territory when you look up uh, like a game's availability online where it's like oh it came out in europe at this time in north america and this time in japan at this time australia at this time they're not talking about the continent of Africa. They're not talking about the countries in the in the Caribbean. They're not talking about island nations that aren't part of any formal grouping of stuff. They're not talking about South America. They just talk about the big commercial marketing territories, the the, yeah. the Western <laughs> world and you know, Japan specifically. And this is a point that we need to talk about where 
just straight up some countries do not get games released or if they do they're so prohibitively expensive because of the cost of importing them or the local economy and being able to afford luxury items in some countries cases yeah and my um like growing up we did not have a lot of money so asking my parents for a video game like that's something that's a luxury that they don't have money to spend on like like okay we would like to get you this thing you love it clearly but that's not something that we at this time can like pay for we can't afford it we can't do it like i remember at some point like one of my cousins got like the original game boy but they got the original game boy because they specifically had people on their dad's side who i was not related to who lived in america who could get it and were coming to visit Mm-hmm. Which is like one of the ways that you could get these. You had to like know someone who was over there who could get it for you, um, and you'd pay them back, or like they'd like it's a gift, it's whatever. We're family, and that's how you get something. Like it's easier now in this moment because a lot more people are traveling. Things are being imported more often, so it's like easier to get things sent there. More places are including the Caribbean in in like where they ship to, but not all of them. They do still like charge you like exorbitant exorbitantly to have things shipped to the Caribbean, but it is like slightly easier than it was before. It's good. And, you know, obviously the actual money that people have access to is a big factor too. Yeah. Like even- And the exchange rate. <laughs> yeah. And like, even in America, like if you are an American, not, <laughs> this isn't a great country. What are we talking about here? But like <laughs> millions upon millions upon millions of people in the most apparently a richest country on the planet still live below far below the poverty line and cannot afford luxury items and the idea that like only people who can afford to should engage with art is such a classist and prohibitive idea and we need to mm-hmm. remove the barriers to being able to access something that we argue is an art form however they can yeah and that's something that's like not just like with video games i've noticed it's something that i've noticed of like how i ended up being a biologist like I am just I'm really curious and I'm determined and I like happened to get into to talk to different people who like told me about the opportunities and chances that I have. And if I didn't meet those people, I would not have known it. And that's something that's like not everyone obviously has access to. Not everyone's going to have access to an undergraduate advisor like I did, who like was the who told me is like, yeah, I studied the lizards on your island. Like, did you did you know that? And it's like, yeah, you could study specifically lizards. And then under lizards, you could study like multiple things in relation to them. You could focus on a genus. You could focus on a species. You could focus on their ecology, on their diet. Like there's different things you could do. And that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And it's just like having that access and having access to those things specifically that um, is really important. It can change a lot of things for for someone, especially for like a kid figuring out what they like and what they want to do. Because like I also wanted to, I also... Um, wanted to to be a comic book artist or like do video game art and I'm like how am I gonna do that I live on a tiny island and I don't know anybody and I don't know what I can I cannot do and um you know art websites were not something I had figured out at the time I didn't even know that they existed it was just like all of these barriers to like things that I'm like I feel very strongly about this I connect with this I want to to do this there's no way there's so many conditions that people just fail to consider about all facets of life. And I'm really glad I have you on the show to be able to speak to your experience because you are a speci- you are a unique and specific individual, Chelsea. I'm, I'm saying that, but there are so many, so many people in the world just like you who have barriers and 
the the way that they are set up and it's just inherently unfair for everybody but it is unfair for so many more people and point is just fucking pirate a video game who's <laughs> If the thing is like, I can't afford this or I can't access it or whatever, you're, you're not hurting anybody because that money was never going to be available to whatever person's hand anyway. Yeah. If you're like, oh, I want this old video game and it's only available on the cartridge for some, from somebody who lives in Japan and it's in Japanese and you'd like it in English, listen, get it in English however you can get it in English. I'm Play the game. Yeah, if, you're, <laughs> if you're buying it off of somebody else anyway, that company's making exactly the same amount of money they would have made if you pirated it. You can only purchase it from the company one time. <laughs> yeah, you can only... <laughs> anyway, the world is stupid. We, why do we argue about this? Anyway, in this segment, we're going <laughs> to talk about the history of Breath of Fire's availability. It was first initially released in Japan for the Super Famicom on April 3rd, 1993. And the Super Famicom is known to most of the rest of the world as Super Nintendo Entertainment System. In Japan, Capcom published the game themselves, but Squaresoft took the localization effort uh, in publishing responsibilities in North America, where it would release on August 10th, 1994. No European release. Uh, also, RIP Squaresoft, which has since merged with Enix to form what is now known as Square Enix. An enhanced port was eventually developed for the Game Boy Advance and was released in 2001. This version was developed and published by Capcom, except in Europe where it was published by French game publisher Ubisoft. This would be the first time the game would ever have been available in the entire continent of Europe. The Game Boy Advance version has some quality of life improvements, many redesigns, as well as link cable support that allowed players to swap items in their inventories. Uh, but we'll come back to that shortly. Going back to the other ways this game has been made available over time, the Super Nintendo version was digitally ported to multiple, multiple Nintendo consoles over the years. On the Wii U Virtual Console, in Japan, September 2014, Europeans got to purchase the Super Nintendo version on the Wii U Virtual Console November that same year. North Americans had to wait until February of 2015. It was added to the new Nintendo 3DS Virtual Console in October of 2016 for North America and Europe, and in August of 2017 for Japan. In September of 2019, it was added to the Nintendo Switch Online Super Nintendo, uh, Nintendo Switch Online Super Nintendo app. A clunky thing, uh, which can be accessed if you pay for the Nintendo Switch online subscription service. As of this recording, this is the most recent way people can legally access this game, as well as the only way now, because the Wii U and 3DS have been discontinued and their eShops closed on March 23rd, 2023. Boo. 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 Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Chelsea, I imagine the, when you get the urge to replay this game, you do it on the Nintendo Switch online. Yes, I do. Which bothers me because what if i'm having financial difficulty and i can't pay for nintendo switch online now i have no access to this classic game that i love that is like very comforting to me okay yeah. and you can't pay to own the game outright in any capacity you have to yeah. just you're, you're paying for a glorified rental subscription service what like why am i paying to access this classic game like just just make it available to us like as long as I have a Nintendo account and I have a Switch, I can access it. I feel like that should be the the bottom line. Right. It's a classic. Everybody deserves access to like a good class, a foundational classic. The first RPG that Capcom made. Like, why can't I just? Why can't I just play it? Yeah, yeah. That's a piece of history. Yeah, and like you hit a point that I talk about every single time the Nintendo Switch Online comes up in this show. What if somebody stops paying for? It? What if they can't afford to do it? What if their subscription service lapses? 
so many so many variables. What if the Nintendo Switch Online app just just discontinued and deactivated, and now these games that you were never allowed to download, you were just allowed to access and play through an application, is just no longer accessible? Who's to say? There's so many things that can go wrong. I have a a big issue with gate like consoles that force you to add like a subscription that you pay for to access more things. I have this issue with PlayStation Plus too. So it's not just Nintendo. I love Nintendo. I adore Nintendo. I have this problem with PlayStation 2 because why is it that like I'm like, oh, hey, I want to play this game. And because I've canceled my PlayStation Plus, I can't do certain things with the game anymore. Why do I have to have a subscription to have the full access to the game? to be able to do all these other things with the game i can only like now like all i'm limited to is like i can just play like with tekken if you want to go online i have to have playstation plus like go online specifically and play against other players otherwise i can just play against like the computer and there's that i guess but the whole point of like the fighting games that you like you practice you do your best and you you see how good you are against players across the world like that's how it's marketed. That's what it's meant for. And I can't be online across the world. I already paid for the game. Why do I have to pay for a subscription service as well? Yeah, no, it is the worst. The, every company in the world just nickel and diming you for every single thing. I think about the fact that I have to, you know, I have to pay rent for my home. I also have to pay internet. I have to pay for the internet in my home. I have to pay a separate cell phone bill. And then I also buy the items that use the internet. And not only do I have to in the game console market, I have to I'm paying for the PlayStation Plus, like you said, I'm paying for the Nintendo Switch Online. That's two different video game consoles (laughs) that I'm paying an annual subscription fee for on top of the fact that I'm paying an internet bill every month on top of it. It's everybody is nickel and diming you. It's a lot. Capitalism is a disease. It is. It's It's rot. It is rot. When that guy made Tetris, he was not thinking about like, oh yeah, I'm going to make so much money off of this. He made a fun thing that people could enjoy and they could like play for free. And then from there, everyone was like, what if we added a dollar sign to this? Yeah. Why are we putting dollar signs on art? Like, okay, yeah. As an artist, I want to get paid for the work that I do. But then all of these extras are not necessary. Right. Especially like the developers who developed this game aren't getting paid every single time you buy a copy of Mm -hmm. their game. This money is going to the publisher. It's that's not going to the people who develop. It's very rare that like the developers get royalties, if ever, if any, if, if anything, it's just. I feel like I would complain less if they were getting royalties every time I like purchased a new copy of of the game or like of some merch related to the thing that they made right no but like developers are already underpaid as it is and every single thing of our life is nickel and diming us and also every facet of our lives is trying to pay their workers as little as possible yeah this is a dark conversation if if (laughs) if there was fair pay to the people who are working hard to make this game possible and not just the ones who are publishing it then i would have a different stance on this if there's not they're not paying them fairly so why am i giving you this much money and then you're the money's not even going to the people who made it possible right exactly um so let's let's give this game a (laughs) rating i give capitalism an f um uh, (laughs) look uh the nintendo switch online is a band-aid over the wound of the issue of video game preservation uh which is the main subject of this conversation the fact that people just won't even make their games readily available in accessible ways. And we have to resort to piracy in many cases, an emulation, especially since, hey, you know what the Super Nintendo online is? That's emulation, guys. 
<laughs> anyway, it treats the act of playing older games as a privilege instead of a simple, even just a simple transaction. It is at best a short-term option for playing classic titles. Because it's playable on the service now, I cannot give it an R grading because there is at least one legal avenue through which you can access and play this game. Mm-hmm. Millions of people are subscribed to this service. I can't say, oh, nobody can play this game. No, millions can, but you have to pay a subscription fee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this there are so many different avenues that can make this game more readily available in just so many various different ways. Look, games can come and go in an instant and be lost to millions at any time, and we need to be wary of that. And this game should be uh, readily available. It means a lot to a lot of people. Otherwise, we wouldn't be discussing it on this show. Yeah. The Breath of Fire uh, Game Boy Advance version, uh, that holds a 79 out of 100 on the review aggregation website Metacritic. Breath of Fire was successful enough to become a series with six mainline entries, including a now defunct Japan-only free-to-play online multiplayer game. The series also inspired several mobile game spinoffs that were exclusive to Japan. But we're not here to reduce Breath of Fire to what its commercial viability was. We're not here to reduce it to a series of numbers or accolades that it may have received over time. We're here to discuss what this game means to somebody who played it. So let's get into that, Chelsea. Welcome, one and all, to Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends, the actual play podcast that steals. What does that mean? That means that we take stories from corporations and come back and tell our own fanfic-inspired actual plays with them. We do things like a Star Wars podcast that takes place 300 years after The Last Jedi. What if any Zoids media was good? We tell stories in those spaces that are better than the ones that the corporations tell us because we're not f***ing cowards. Please, come join us at Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends to hear a plethora of wonderful stories every once in a while on the Moonshot Podcast Network. Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends. Hosted by me, Riley Hopkins. What do you like about Breath of Fire that you wish more video games would do? The story. (laughs) I can't, like, I don't know. I feel like I can't say enough about the story. The game is long. I'm not going to lie to you and be like, oh, it's a quick play. It's not. It's not (laughs) a quick play. (laughs) It's one of the longer games I've played for the show. Yes. But the fact that it is longer means that you get like more playtime with it. You get more time to like go through the story to you know decide like how, what your playstyle is with it, and also to get to know the characters that you're playing as, because they all have their own individual storylines. They all interact in in specific ways, and they all have like their own special magic powers that you can like check out and figure out and decide like what you want to add to to your fighting style what you want to use and like you mentioned like the spells that they have can also interact like in the like overworld you can also use those as well and i think like having played um pokemon first and like being able to do like rock smash and i was like oh this is a cool thing that you can use like some moves outside of the game that's great this is like like baby chelsea voice and now i'm like playing this game i was like oh it's like pokemon you can use the things outside of the- that's so useful i wish more games would do that yeah the the gameplay combined with the story is just like i like that like discovering that discovering all those things playing through a story that was treated with care and and with love and like 
it felt like they weren't just like making a game that people were like yes i played this and i completed it they they were making a game that they're like we want to give you something that you will like take with you that you'll think about it you'll like finish a part of this game you'll finish a chapter and you'll come like you'll think about it until you come back and you complete another chapter even after you finished it like the end of the story will like touch you in such a way that you will think about it in times because like the end of the, the end made me cry I like I finished it and I was like it was a little tear and I was like no this is so cute <laughs> I lo- like this is good this is a good game and I felt like I accomplished something um because I also like I had a problem with patience growing up and I still do every now and then but this game really helped me to like be more patient like a long turn-based game for a a child who decidedly was not patient is not Mm -hmm. something that you would recommend but I think you should try it um one because I think kids are capable of more than people give them credit for no saying that also from my own experience as a kid and like I have a nephew and like sometimes I talk to him and he like the responses he gives me I'm like oh oh my bad (laughs) I'm sorry having to like sit through this and make sure that I like go through it with care really taught me how to like take a step back and like look at things which like as a kid who like was having major like patience issues and it's like I I didn't want I want like instant gratification it's like no taking my time and making something that matters and working through something in a way that is significant and matters like actually is like it's it's good I could do that yeah, that's a very interesting uh, perspective. Having the a game teach you the value of patience, and you know, you wanting to get through this experience because there was so much to it that meant a lot to you, and you willing to deal with how long it was taking to do certain things. Because the game does put a lot of barriers in your way. There's a lot of like, oh, like just from like a narrative space, it's like, oh, I mean, like the key is technically like right here, but you gotta <laughs> run some fucking errands, buddy. Uh, or less like in like the moment to moment of it, like how frequent the encounter rate is how grindy mm-hmm. it is to level up in this game stuff that many people would associate with just like what an rpg was like at the time and mm-hmm. point to that as like yeah like the game padding itself out but for you you position it as a patience as a virtue and i really admire that i really respect that yeah and um two things that might be in a po- unpopular opinions i love a fetch quest i i love that i love that so much that's like one of the reasons why it took me so long to finish Skyrim because everybody had a quest and I was like, give me more. <laughs> what else am I doing for you? <laughs> and also, I, I don't mind grinding. I love it. Like I do it all the time in Pokemon. My partner told me recently, how did you beat all the gyms so fast? I was like, oh yeah, it was like Pokemon hunting. And I guess like, you know, I got lost in like grinding and Pokemon hunting. My Pokemon got too strong. I don't know. <laughs> So, like, I I love those aspects. So that, like, being put into the game that you have to do this as you're going through, like, I was just like, oh, this is great. I love battling. I I love, like, you know, doing the little side quests. Like, because, like, the the care also to, like, um, make the little side quests to give people things that they ask you to do, these things that you have to go find, the, the places you have to go, like, complete a thing, a puzzle that you have to work out. All of that was, like, for me, it was, like, very stimulating. It was very, like, okay, this is good. It all works into the story. It all makes sense to me in a way that made me want to like sit there and work through it properly, adding to like, you know, learning the patience. And the story was good. I wanted to know what happened next and like having to like take the step back and like know that like, okay, I have to like do all these things so that I can know what happens next. Helped with learning that. 
that's you know especially since you played this at such a formative age and this is your first like non-pokemon rpg ever that that's a very formative lesson that you learned through this game and i that's really really neat something i really like about this game that i don't see a lot of rpgs do even now is uh the variety of the party members that you have and i'm not talking about the number of them but so much it's just like there's not a lot of humans in this party relative to the other species and creatures that you have joining you again an ogre a mole a a wolf creature uh in, in all the all the yeah ox and then like all the human all the human creatures all the creatures <laughs> characters all have some like like a car fuses with other people ryu transforms into a dragon his name is literally the japanese name for dragon nina has wings blue is the only other person with like a human face and half her lower body is, is serpentine snake. so yeah it's nuts it's like there's like no quote-unquote normal human member of your party it's all creatures yeah i i really liked the variety because i was also like at that point i was getting into like mythology and learning about like um centaurs and other like hybrid creatures that people put into mythology so like seeing them as like playable characters i was like oh this is great this is amazing i don't know how they came up with some of these but i'm really interested and like I'm not saying being human is terrible, but you get tired of playing as like a generic like human being all the time, especially yeah. especially as a black woman growing up. <laughs> like growing up was like tiny black girl from the Caribbean. You want to play a video game and you're always playing as like a white guy. <laughs> and like it gets really like, oh, okay, I gotta put myself into a white guy's shoes again, I guess. It's fine. Yeah. Which is why I don't understand when people complain when they make a non-white man um, as the main character. Because, yeah. like, I, for years, for many years, I've had to, to put myself into that, into that um, space. I feel like people can do the same now. Mm-hmm. An ex of mine uh, was seeing me play a video game that was, like, a, a female lead. She wasn't really into video games, but she was, like, teasing me about it. It's like, don't you feel silly that you're playing as a girl? And I'm like, not really. Most media is kind of made for me. <laughs> so it's kind of like, unfor- I don't really have this issue. And I welcome any opportunity that gives me any sort of difference. It's just like, I've never, yeah. for me, obviously, I don't have scruples about that things. And people who do are, like, totally unimaginative at best and at worst, fucking racist and bigoted and prejudiced. But yeah, I welcome any game, especially an RPG, where oh, it's like, oh, there's millions of creatures in this world, and all your party members are just human. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, you found the only five humans in this world, and they're all on your party. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I love Final Fantasy, but like, there's not enough like creature characters in Final Fantasy uh, for your for your party composition in most games. But hey, here almost everybody is a creature, and it's great. I have a great time with it. Yeah. Other things that I like, just quality of life things that I don't, I mean, uh, having an auto battle feature is neat. Uh, having an enemy health bar, even for common enemies, very useful. Thank you, Breath of Fire, for letting me know how much health an enemy has. I like that. Yeah, no, I love I love having an enemy health bar because, like, I, oh, I think one of the things that, like, I didn't like initially, that's why it was, like, one of the things that, like, was hard for me to get into Legend of Zelda is that, like, Here's the thing. I'm attacking the thing. When when will it die? How do I know it's gonna? Where's the health bar? What's going on? Like, sure, sometimes it's like two hits and it's gone. But it's like, I still would like to know. I'd like to be aware. Sometimes I have one heart. I'm you know I'm close to my one heart. Please. <laughs> yeah, I know how much health I have, but I would like. I wish I knew what everybody else did. And yeah, I, I understand that, especially when a game has it. I like to know going in. Like, okay, what's the 
how many times am I going to have to hit this giant creature, this boss, this boss? And uh, the game does have this like subterfuge with it where it's like, you know, you get it to the second phase and you don't know how much health the second phase of a boss battle has. But at least it has some semblance of like a pacing of like, I have a general yeah. idea of how long this battle's lasting. But yeah, what else do you like about this game? I, I'm going to have to say the magic. So getting into like fantasy things and learning that like everybody like has like some kind of like magic spell that they can do i love turning into a dragon i love that and then you could turn into different kinds of dragons um i think i exclusively use the flame dragon as much as i could mm-hmm. <laughs> i always wanted to be the flame dragon until i got gold dragon and i was like yeah yeah this <laughs> is the one this is it <laughs> this is it for me we mentioned several times like i love a, the magical girl aspect of anything so like nina and nina's magic spells as well it's just like okay i think i will like cure everybody <laughs> yeah um if magic was real i would abandon biology and i would focus full-time on magic yeah i mean you could sort of see science as a kind of magic yeah 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 it's just, yeah. you know, there's not enough pink and sparkles sometimes. <laughs> True. You know, talking about your favorite dragons, you sort of hit um, part of what I was planning on asking was like, what are your favorite dragon transformations? And, you know, you being a multi-hyphenate biologist, what do you see uh, about like real life reptiles in these designs, if anything? I feel like fantasy dragons have like gotten to such a point where it's like, there's scales. <laughs> And like that's the that's a parallel that you see. There's um spikes. A lot of reptiles do feature spikes. Um, as far as like wings go, we don't have a lot of like reptiles that have not a lot. I say like we have any like reptiles that have wings aside from birds. We don't have reptiles that have like wings, but we do have reptiles that have appendages that can catch the wind and allow them to like glide. So there's frogs that can do that. They have like these like really large webs between their toes to catch the wind and glide. Um, and then there's like geckos that can do that as well. They have like armpits, they, like like the Spider-Man suit with the webs in the armpits. They have that, but it's flat. <laughs> um, and that lets them like glide. Um, and their tails are also like flattened and have like appendages on them to help them fly around. I think I like the flame dragon design the best. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like the really classic red dragon. Yeah. I think in terms of magic, I, t- I typically like the like really classic designs. Um, so like the typical like red dragon design is, I think it's top tier for me. It's the first one. It's, it's basic, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick the basic one. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, people have their takes on like what a dragon should look like. We have like, the Eastern understanding of dragon where they're more serpentine and then the Western dragons where they're bulky boys. And there are some I games do enjoy that a good like wyvern. blend them. Mm-hmm. Wyverns. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's just like stuff that like does a hybrid thing where it's like, Oh, it's long, but it does also have a, a defined torso and everything. Uh, so I was just curious if like you had like preferred dragon designs overall when you're looking at them or like even going beyond breath of fire, just like, Oh, I really like, I'd prefer these kinds of things. Oh, it's fine. That cat can meow as much as he wants. He's a cute boy. <laughs> Okay, okay. All right. What's up? <laughs> I think he's he doesn't like me moving cuz he was laying down. Okay. Um Yeah, I I think a good dragon design. What makes a good dragon design for me? I 
don't always like when they have separate hands from their mm. wings. I don't always like that. Like sometimes it's okay. And I don't know what is the sometimes that makes it okay for me. But sometimes I just like don't like when the hands are separate from the wings. I do prefer more of like the bat-like thing where the hand is part of the wing coming off of it. And I I feel like some people do too many spikes. Like sometimes there's too many spikes. Like you like they're overcompensating with the spikes. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be a good balance of it for it to make sense biologically. Cause like the dragon is the apex predator. It's the top. It doesn't need the spikes. The spikes would be for like de- defense. If it's gonna mm-hmm. just be for decoration, then you know it's gonna have some subtle spikes down its spine, possibly spine like spikes as decoration at the crown of its head to attract females. You know, thinking about it from a strictly biological standpoint, then it's like, why an excess of spikes everywhere? Like, what is eating a dragon? Nothing. Fair. I never really thought of, and this is obviously a product of you studying these things, but like you have, when I look at a design of something for a, you know, mythical creature, I'm thinking like, oh, okay. And like, that's, that's cool. (laughs) Or this doesn't look cool. Or like, I'm trying to figure out like what I like about it in design, but I really appreciate your perspective of like, also trying to look at the blending of, you know, science and magic and like, what purpose does this design serve? Like what utility and what evolutionary need would create such a form? And this is sort of like an intersection of like, you know, that idea and also like the general idea of like things are getting over designed lately. And like, Mm -hmm. there's like, you know, the minimalist issue for like a lot of stuff, but there's also like the over designing where like somebody's trying to make something appear so distinct and iconic that it gets lost in the sauce of doing too much. Yeah, I think that might be like why I don't always like the separate like hand wing thing, because I feel like sometimes they try to do like way too much musculature on the dragon. And then they Mm. separate the wings from the arms and then they try to give it like these really thick, beefy arms. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, that's just, it just doesn't make sense to me. I feel like from a biological standpoint for a dragon, it makes more sense for its like wing to be attached to the arm. Yeah. And then like, it doesn't have like separate appendages to worry about. It has that like all in one function. It's less costly biologically to 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 be evolved in that way right now i'm just thinking about like the logistics of like man that heavy creature having like wings while having to like carry like the muscly buff form of like that separate of its arms that's yeah yeah that is a logistical problem but thank, <laughs> thank you for that i really appreciate getting into the the biology of an anatomy of these yeah. fictional cre- I, I genuinely love discussions like this and like a yeah no me too and like it I- comes back to reality I feel like, you know, judging also from reptiles, extant reptiles that we have today that have like gliding abilities, they don't have those gliding abilities from something that's like added on to them or developed mm-hmm. like things that have grown out of their back. Those, the appendages that they have to help them glide are added to features that they already have, which is more and um, like efficient energy wise. And also like from a biologic standpoint, from like safety, survival, that it makes more sense. It's easier to hide. It's easier to run around. It's easier to have that dual purpose where you can you you can easily move around. Your wings don't get caught in things. But if you need to jump off and glide away into the distance, you jump off and you glide. It's very easy to do that. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. Talking about um, the party composition of like the 
different, like not only like, oh, these things do different things in battle and they also have like their things that interact with the overworld, like Bo being able to hunt creatures that are in the overworld and you picking up like their items as like health items or things that you can use for getting your magic back or um, like how Gobi can like help you guys swim underwater, how Nina can eventually become a creature that can fly you over the overworld instantly, which is a very rewarding like mm-hmm. late game thing. There's there's that part of it where it's like this variety and composition is great and like the ways that they are able to do different things in battle where you actually have to think like, well, what do I want out of a battle? That's cool. But also, um, you know, they have these distinct personalities and different designs and different all that. Like, who is your favorite character of your massive party? I mm, I'm torn between Blue and Nina. Mm-hmm. I I really I do love a good like winged <laughs> magical girl but um seeing blue was like a hmm, she looks kind of evil in her design but i think that i actually really like that i enjoy that and i really do like reptiles and i feel like it's not very often that you get like a female lead character that has like reptilian features like a female yeah. lead or playable character that has any kind of reptilian feature they tend to make female characters more soft and and dainty and angelic and like seeing one i was like i I love reptiles she's like half she's half reptile she's half snake like i i like that i enjoy that like i do still like the like soft magical girl thing but like you know inside you there are two wolves (laughs) (laughs) the two wolves in me is like the magical girl and like goth reptilian lovers (laughs) (laughs) yeah the lizard brain you might say Yes. (laughs) I like blue a lot because it's like a kind of like the design and personality, the the subversion of like your expectation of like, oh, this is a serpentine girl. She's going to be a boss battle. She's going to be evil and like all that. But like when you find her, she's like she has guardians and you fight her guardians and then guardians like, oh, okay, you're cool. We'll wake her up now. And she's like, why the fuck you wake me up? I don't. I don't want to do shit. Okay. And then like, I'm kind, I kind of have God powers, but like, <laughs> I'm not great at it, but yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, she's a, she's a fail girl who likes to have fun and just, just tired all the time. And it's like, she's not remotely evil. She just likes to, she wants to impress people, but she's also like lazy. And that's a very interesting. I love her yeah. so much. Like, again, like seeing her, I was like, oh, evil. Like, she's going to be, usually reptile girls are like evil whenever I do see them. I'm like, no, she's a good guy. She's a good guy. She's a reptile girl and you can play it. It's like, okay, this is great, this is great, this is great. This is perfect. And she's just like me for real, tired all the time. I'm just like the tiredest I've ever been in my life. Yeah, who among us? (laughs) Um... But no, it's a cool detail because like these designs, like Ox being this big ogre man who is just like, I love my wife. I can also punch holes in the walls, but I just want original I, wife guy. I'm just here to save my wife. I want to save my wife. <laughs> and just like that, you know, it actually like interacts with the idea of like these various different clans and their various stake in the oppression that is attacking their world. They all have like an investment into mm-hmm. having this world. And like you recruit, I think everybody that you recruit in this party is somebody you save except for Karn. Ryu finds Nina and you play as Nina for a while. Nina gets yeah. captured by this guy whose whole thing is like, I use her species to do fucked up experiments because I, you know, do not regard them as people. You have to save uh, Mogu from the dream world. You have to save Ox and his wife from being used as slave labor for the dark dragons. You have to use 
yeah, I mean, you have to wake up Blue. I guess Blue isn't really under any... Blue's just like, I'm here. Blue's yeah, what's lazy. Up, guys? <laughs> what's up, guys? The enemy you have to defeat is laziness. <laughs> I, I have my inner demons, but that's kind of <laughs> it. Um, yeah, you must you must really need some help if you gotta like find me. Okay, guys, cool. Let's go. <laughs> and Mogu, oh yeah, Mogu, not the Mogu. I'm the the fish guy, Gobi. He's just like he says he's in it for the money, but he's just like there because like one, he's trying to get his license to be a, his guild license back, but also he like is lonely in one's company because he's kind of a loser. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah, he's. He's a failure. I don't like him very much. He is he's he's a bit grating and overbearing, but it's it's when you see a lot of parallels between that character and a character like Jar Jar Binks. Oh, you're an underwater guy that nobody likes in his hometown, but you're also like the guy who's representing that town for your party who needs to save the world. And he's like everybody's like, I fucking hate this guy. Go go hang out with these guys. <laughs> You you invented Jar Jar Binks as an RPG character five years before Jar Jar Binks would be an character in a movie <laughs> yeah yeah i i also don't like gobi a lot like when i think of the game i do not ever think of gobi mm -hmm. i have to admit when i think of the game i think of almost everybody except for gobi like gobi is a little spot in my memory you know like <laughs> you like edit out someone from a picture like i see mm -hmm. the full picture of the party i'm like ah there's everyone and like gobi's missing <laughs> It's uh, that joke from Rest of Development where it's like, I love all of my kids equally. And then like there's a flashback. She's like, I don't care for Job. <laughs> and, uh, I don't care for Gobi. <laughs> well, um, I should make that. <laughs> yeah, no. One of the secrets in the game is like you can just sort of do a sort of mini game where you can like set up shop and sell things as Gobi. And like it's menu items in your own inventory. And you're like you're haggling with people being like, no, don't buy it for this much. Buy it for this much. And then they'll be like, oh, fuck you. I'm leaving. <laughs> Like, that's a totally, like, why is that even in the game? But, like, it's so interesting and cool that it's there. So, like, that's they cool. They did also put in a little Street Fighter thing. Oh, God, I forgot it is, who it is you have to talk to. But you have to say yes and no to him in a specific sequence. And then, it, like, gives you a little room with Chun-Li in it. And she does her kick. Like, that's, like, why would you put that in there? Like, there's no reason to put that in there. But it's fun. I love it. Yeah, you go to Bleak. And there's someone for it's, like, hey, for, like... Give me a, a couple bucks. I can show you a magic trick. Oh, and yeah. Then, he's like, like, I'll make a hundred gold disappear. <laughs> yeah. But like they, they do that. And they're like, you, you like you said, you like answer like their questions in like the right order. And then they're like, my magic trick is I turn into Chun-Li from Street Fighter. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> Interesting. Is this like, is this supposed to be like an erotic thing? I don't know. This pixels to me. But like, it's cool that the cameo is there. Yeah. They're like, let's throw her in. Yeah. Um like one of like one of those like again Capcom references. It's neat. But yeah, no, like I, I like the I like the little secrets. Yeah. So my favorite I love the music from the game, but I think my favorite one is from um a scene that they like didn't actually use but is like in like the unused like artifacts in the game that like people who like hack it have found. Um I think it's the like the bar. There's a bar that they never used. And it's mm. like it has its own sound, like song, like its own music. I like that. Like I like the music from that bar the most. Yeah, that's interesting. I I never I didn't know that. I'm going to absolutely edit that into the, <laughs> this conversation.
like it's really vibey. I'm like, there's a little like jazz. And it's like, okay, all right. Why didn't they put this in? Because I, <laughs> and it's nowhere else but in that like scene they never use. It's just like lost in there. I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you throw away like top tier music like that? Speaking of the music, I do like the music in this game. It doesn't have a ton of tracks because it is a four megabyte cartridge and they spend so much of the memory just like making this massive overworld and all these dungeons and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But they do make a point of changing the battle theme about halfway through the game or like at a certain turning point in the game. Like you had like an established battle theme. They changed that part of the way through. And I like that. I like evolutions where it's like, oh, the game has changed in, mm-hmm. in in some meaningful way, and I like that yeah. being reflected in, especially if you have to do thousands. It like helps of, with the tonal shift once yeah. you get to a certain point. It does. But you say you really like the the story of this game, and we haven't really talked too much about like the the specific. What are some story moments that really make you connect with uh, Breath of Fire? Ryu's overall quest to like save his people and to save his sister, and his sister's like sacrifice for for him. She's like, it's okay. Like there was no other way to do this. And uh, spoiler, if you haven't played the game, <laughs> sorry. Um, there's no other way to do this. Like it it has to happen. But it's okay. Don't don't feel bad about it. Like that moment at the end. Like maybe I have siblings. I have a brother and a sister. So like, I'm I'm fairly certain that we would do anything for each other. But like to to the point of like, it's okay that I like I will die for you. Like that's that's really big. That's like huge. And to see that like played out like you go through this whole game the entire game you finally get to you to your sister and you're like i'm gonna save her and she's like no i'm possessed now my my mind has been taken over and i'm trying to kill you and the only way to get out of it is for you to kill me first it's like oh oh this is heart-wrenching actually i don't want to do this battle like i've i've gained all these powers i've become so strong i've come to this point where I could like, I'm like, yeah, I could beat anyone. And now I have to beat my sister. That's, oh, that took a turn that I, I didn't want to take, but like you had to. And it like added a layer to the story that like made me emotional. And like, it adds like, it's a very like good narrative texture because like at the beginning of the game, Sarah is like the guardian of her village. She's the powerful priestess who's been like, I'm going to be the one to save the town from this evil. But then she gets captured and eventually, like you said, like her, she's possessed and she's trying to fight that possession, but ultimately she's not in control. Ryu's like, I'm literally a level one character. I'm going to go and save her anyway. He gets stronger along the way. He gets all of these. He passes all these trials to become uh, a person that can transform into various dragons. Having He's that battle like, there. He's gotten all of these friends who also have like gotten really powerful in their own right. Yeah. And then you get there and still the only way to win this battle to save your sister is for her to die. Yeah. I did this to save my sister. My my sister's dead, but ultimately I saved the world. So it's a bittersweet ending like mm-hmm. that. Like it doesn't give you a clean power fantasy ending, but also just like you, the player, have now surpassed this character that was established as badass in the beginning as more powerful than you, as stronger than you. And you're going to have to prove that by defeating her. Yeah, it's tragedy mis- mixed with like the, this is, concrete proof that you are the one capable of saving the world now because you beat the second strongest person 
<laughs> yeah. Like, at the, like, end of it, her saying that she's, like, you know, she's proud of him. Like, it's, like, you did so much. You got to this point. I'm proud of you. And all of the characters going to, like, help their respective people rebuild after after this tragedy. Now this tragedy is over. I, being from a, a small island, I feel like there's a lot of things that happen and community is always something that's like really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, always has been important. It's something that's really important to to us back home. And like that, just like was another like theme that resonated with me strongly is that they like build their own community together, but also like in their respective clans, the community is important to each of them as well, and helping each other, helping each other out. And at the end of it, they didn't forget that they went back to that. They went back to like, okay, now we need to to go help rebuild and re remake our world after now now that we're all safe from the the evil dragons <laughs> that wanted to enslave us all and rule the world even though it's like not quite the same as things that would happen on a caribbean island it's like i get that i understand that and there's been like many instances where i've had to rely on community so it's like a theme that is like very personal to me and then another aspect of the story that i'm like this is this is really good I like how they wrote that in. I like how it like feels authentic and how you care about all these relationships that they've built and not just like care about them within the party. You care about these people back, like how their lives are back home, like Nina and her dad. Yeah, no, we, we're going to save your dad. We're d- I'll do whatever. <laughs> yeah, they help each other. Like that's like the arc of like every character is like you help them in some way meaningfully, like even Karn who like doesn't like necessarily have like a struggle. Like his thing is like, you know, like my culture is like uh ancient thieves that are wiped out but like are you know i'm trying to find the culture of it and become a better thief carry that on you help him he joins your team he's like cool i have confidence now also i have fusing powers by the way that's not really thief <laughs> shit but it, it, it's cool you know just an aside like yeah i guess yeah i guess it was actually fusion powers and not thieving ancestry whatever um a thing i don't care for in fantasy is just the idea that like oh one of these fantasy races is just like skews evil or is evil and that isn't a thing in breath of fire every culture every clan has good and evil represented in their different personalities but there is like the dark dragons are they're a hateful part of the dragon clan totally that also composes of the light dragon so even in like this very black and white situation it's like they're both dragon people it's just like one is these this group's bad this group's good and all the people that you encounter the the wolf-like people good people the 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 angel people good you know there's no evil inherent to any of these people and like having to have all these different clans work together as a collective to defeat this fascistic evil that's been trying to genocide and cull undesirables and people they perceive as beneath them it speaks to a very broad you know universal message of like how community and working together not just being proud of your own community but also being willing to serve the communities of others for a greater purpose than yourself it's a strong theme it's a strong theme yeah I feel like people don't put enough merit into like the the like power of like community and having community in the story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like with some games the focus so much is on like the hero and maybe the hero's love interest and it like loses focus of like the people that the hero is trying to save to begin with. Like, why are they important as well? Why is the hero trying to save them? The hero trying to save them just because that's what heroes do? Like, what is the connection? Like, where where is that 
coming from what is he looking for what is like what what is the purpose instead yeah. of just like yeah you're a hero you're saving this world you know you live here it'll be inconvenient to you that you can't <laughs> live here anymore like is there anything more than that and it's not to say that like you know you can't have like a silly storyline where this person is just like yeah i just care about me i don't want to die because one punch man does that really well where he's like i just wanted to be strong mm. now i'm strong and it's a burden for me honestly so i kind of regret that and also like he wanted to make money and that's why he's like yeah i guess i'll become like i'll register officially as a hero that works but they're doing it well they're doing it in a way that's like fleshed out but to just make a game it's like you're the hero yeah i get that now not every game's perfect we wish every game was perfect but some games aren't what about this game do you wish was done better mm. um controversial take um this is a perfect game to me no notes really <laughs> i loved it like maybe it's the nostalgia preventing me from like critiquing it but i'm like this is this this game is good i wouldn't even make it i would not make it faster i would not make it shorter i'm fine with it like i'm i'm happy and pleased right would you be okay if i like you know express some like frustrations that i had playing through the game go ahead <laughs> okay just want to make sure <laughs> Now, pretty common criticisms of this game and stuff that I, you know, encountered personally was like the absurdly high encounter rate in this game. And I know that this is like a, a lot of these are like symptoms of like a lot of uh, RPGs at the time were like this. But like it felt like every 10 steps in some areas or less, I would be guaranteed to be in a battle and you can run away, but sometimes you can't run away. And you, there is the auto battle feature, so you don't really have to engage with all of them. But that like just like, ah, my pacing is Oh, no. Ah, man, now I have to do all move again. Okay, there we go. <laughs> there, the, the level design in the dungeons themselves are very... And then uh, the game is doing this deliberately. It's doing it to mess with you. But there's so many sections of the game where, like, it's prolonging you getting through the dungeon by, like, making... Here is a room, and it's, like, one narrow hallway that you walk around, and there's, like, branching paths, and, like, you have to backtrack through those paths that kind of look similar... And you'll navigate your way through this narrow maze that there's only really one way through. Like, there's stuff that's like, oh, that's fair. Like, you know, I understand why they did that. Like, um, having Karn at the front of your party to detect a trap that will, like, knock you down a floor and have to start all over again. But it's a game that's full of tricks and little traps. But, like, I feel like the degree to which they rely on that to prolong the game was a bit frustrating for me playing through this game. Yeah, that's, that, that's fair. I can see why someone would like have an issue with that uh, why they wouldn't like it um i think the reason why i don't is because like i do enjoy like an elaborate puzzle <laughs> mm -hmm. and i uh, again like i love i love grinding i love like battles so like you know frequently encountering um enemies especially enemies that have like cool designs that i like to see in motion i like i, I enjoy it so it wasn't um it wasn't an issue for me so I think that I think that's why those things did not bother me. Because okay. I was like, "Oh, here's the cool guy again. I get to I get to see the cool guy, and I get to fight him again." I genuinely like hearing. I genuinely like hearing that people don't have issues with things that other people do because, like, I it just goes to show that there's like different tastes for everything like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of backtracking in this game that feels unnecessary to me too. Like sometimes it will like do you a favor and be like, "All right, we'll skip you back here," and then another time, like there's a few uh, points where um. 
I'm thinking of like this is like a later game thing, but there's like a maze that you have to go through, and it's like a bunch of like geysers of toxic gas that comes out, and you have to navigate your way through that, get the thing at the end of there, and then you have to walk your way back through the entire maze all over again. And you can't use like the warp spell to get back to the beginning of it because if you do, you'll just go back to <laughs> you, you. You can't backtrack. <laughs> you, you you can't. You can't fly, you can't warp, you can't escape. You have to just like walk through the entire thing. And I was like, oh no. And the game does give you some items that like turn off random encounters for like a few, for a little bit, but you have to buy them in excess. And the inventory isn't like you have a limited amount of inventory space that you can use. So like you can't just like stock up on like a hundred of these if you want to turn off random encounters for an hour. You have to, you have to deal with like the high encounter rate and the backtracking for some extent of it. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's a completely fair and valid critique. Sure. Yeah. And again, if it doesn't bother you, that doesn't bother you. Like I said, it could be that I'm like looking at it slow, solely through like rose tinted glasses, the the rose tinted glasses on nostalgia. But like again, I don't have any issues. I think it's no notes. Cool game. Oh wait, no, I do have one note. It should have used the music from that secret bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my note. <laughs> okay. No, fair note. The Game Boy Advance port of the game has some quality of life improvements that address some of the people's um, annoyances with the game. Uh, one, it has a quick save feature because it's a traditional RPG. You have to go to a save point to be able to turn the game off. And it being a Game Boy Advance game where people are playing it in smaller bursts, they give you a quick save feature. That's nice. Uh, it also gives you a dash ability because the walking speed isn't sufficiently fast considering how much surface area you have to go through. The game, they give you a little dash in the Game Boy Advance <laughs> version. Like they don't change the level design. So if people's issues are like, you know, like how labyrinthian and convoluted these uh, mazes are, that that at least you can dash through them. That's something. Any other common critique, which is a product again of the time and localization efforts, and I learned a lot through this researching this game. If you go through the game's items, it's like looking at a bunch of license plates because they have a very limited number of letters that they can use for the name of certain items you're like this is supposed to be called a flame sword but it's called like flame sw kind of yes. stuff and then there's like more <laughs> yeah. inscrutable things that you have to be like helmet is hm what okay this is a bunch of letters that kind of everything looks like a license plate but that's because the game was originally designed in japanese and it takes more letters in the american alphabet than it would be to use kanji to represent something so there was very limited spacing that they could do uh, the guy who uh, localized this game, it was like one guy who localized the entire game. It was Ted Woolsey. Ted Woolsey. He also did the localization for Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI. Yes. And he talked about how he worked at Square during this period of time. And he's like, for, there's a really good interview that I'll link to in the description of this episode where he talks about his experience as a uh, person who worked in localization and the problems that came up about it and why they are the way that they are. And there's like the common things that people understood, like, oh, there was limited text space. And that's why like all these words are weird. And that's why we had to change the names of certain things. Like um, one of the most common like complaints about the localization of Chrono Trigger is how they had to shorten the name of Chrono to C-R-O-N-O when the game is called C-H-R-O-N-O Trigger. But yeah. he was saying like, not only do you have to worry about like the actual limited space of text, like per like, you know, item slot or whatever, but these games were built on four megabyte cartridges. So like the actual amount of like memory space, we would have to make sacrifices on words or phrases or like how much text that we could put into the game overall, because if it took up too much space, it's like, well, we're not cutting content from the game. Let's 
change the names of things to be shorter to help save text. And he was dealing with a lot of limitations, like storage, not just the actual like having to translate one thing from another thing and having limited spaces and windows to do things, but just like he had a month to localize an entire RPG. Uh, it was mainly just him doing it. He'd have to play through the games and like he would have to also like have notes received from the developers if they were giving him notes at all. There was a lot of pressure and labor that goes into it. So, uh, you know, I admire that. I admire the localization effort. So I'm not going to say like, oh, I, you know, personally, in a perfect world, we would have a perfect localization. That wasn't realistic at the time. And I think yeah. he did an admirable job. Yeah, I think he did a pretty good job. Like initially, it takes you a minute to try to figure out like exactly what is what in your inventory. You're like, what, what? But once you get the hang of it, I feel like it, it's fairly smooth from there. And another thing that he talks about uh, in the interview that, again, I've linked in the description of this episode, is he talks about, you know, another thing that we have to deal with with localization was like the censorship or pressure of censorship at the time. Like for a game published on a Nintendo console in the mid to late 90s, the video game controversy, like the whole like controversy of censorship, like games like Mortal Kombat that had like hyper violence and things. Nintendo wanted to avoid any sort of controversy in any of their games. So like there were like demands like you can't have religious references in the American versions of games. You can't have, you know, alcohol references. You can't have no swear words, things like that. So like people who criticize these things for being like babying the words down is also just kind of like, well, Nintendo told me that we had to follow these certain rules. So on top of everything else, like I had to like change the script a little bit, guys. I'm sorry. It's important to know the cult, the historical context of like yeah, a lot of decisions. Yeah, all of that. That's cool. Yeah, and famously, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier. Um, there's multiple Breath of Fire games. There was a Breath of Fire game that was released um, a couple years later on the Super Nintendo called Breath of Fire Two, and that localization was handled by Capcom instead of Square. And it's a famously bad localization that people have a lot of issues with. Like, there's like major grammatical issues, translation errors things that don't make sense, so much more change. So a testament to how localization went for the first one and how much effort went into that versus like when Capcom had to handle it themselves for literally the sequel to the game. It made me appreciate one more seeing the translation issues that the second one went through. Yeah, no, I um, I remember like the learning curve on the like the inventory items. And I remember like later on looking it up and that they explained that it was like that because they had to like translate it from Japanese and they didn't have like enough character space. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. That that makes sense. I haven't played the other Breath of Fire games. I feel like if I play them, it's going to ruin it for me. <laughs> really? I feel like this one's so perfect. So I'm scared. So I don't know how bad the localization is for the other one. But like, um, it's it's like really good to know that like full background and like what he like had to change and how it ended up the way it is. Because I think, like, was it two years ago, I watched somebody else play Breath of Fire. And, like, that was one of their main complaints. Was that, like, I don't know what's in this inventory. Like, what is, the, like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> and this yeah. is the first time playing it. They had never looked it up before. They were like, yeah, people have said this is a good RPG, so I'm going to play it. And they're like, what is, what is this supposed to be? I don't understand. Yeah, there's a learning curve for that. Definitely have a guide handy. So, you said you haven't played any of the other entries in the Breath of Fire series. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Breath of Fire 2 is on the Super Nintendo Online, but what a lot of people recommend is that you <laughs> emulate it so you can mod it with a translation patch that fixes the translation issues because apparently <laughs> it makes the game dramatically more enjoyable. 
uh, three, four, and five have never been ported from their original consoles, which were uh, for three and four, the PlayStation one, and for the fifth one, the PlayStation two. Why not? Uh, I don't know. I think some people say there's like maybe rights issues that go into it because of something. There's like apparently I heard licensing issues is like an error, but I couldn't find any conclusive things on it. But I've seen the art style for especially the PlayStation entries, and I am really charmed by it. And I really want to play those, especially because a lot of people I know who really enjoy RPGs talk up the sequels of this game as having great stories, uh, beautiful art style. And like some people really talk up the fishing mechanics of the third and fourth games. And it's like, I I would really like to check. I love a good fishing minigame. Yeah. I do. I do enjoy a fishing mini game. I think I just like I'm holding on to the nostalgia of the first one so hard. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about any of this. I really do want to try them, though, and I should play them. I think I'm going to try to do that. Um, Seeing as, you know, there's no other way to get three and four, might as well (laughs) pirate it. So it seems like the only ethical choice. (laughs) If Capcom doesn't want to make money off of it, I'm not going to give them money for it. (laughs) Do what you got to do. Listen, I'm I'm simply enjoying the media that they created. That's all. And you, it means so much to you. You put Breath of Fire into my life. I hope this motivates you to play uh, the subsequent entries, however you can. Now, this is a you know about meaningful and memorable video games. Uh, what impact would you say this game made on you? I think Breath of Fire definitely made me um, the gamer that I am today. It made me more like patient gamer. Um, as well as like it like really sparked that need to be like a completionist (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) if i ever like stream or anything and you see me playing pokemon i am like where is every pokeball that is out here that has an item i need to find it i need to figure out every secret i need to find every cavern every like every that's how i play every game now because like from playing breath of fire i'm like okay I didn't know that people put so many secrets into games and now I have to like find it all. I would like to know what everything is because I feel like also for the developer to go into the care of like making something like, you know, that's special and hidden that they would like, you know, to work to find, um, you know, if you care enough, if you care about enough about the thing that they've created, then it just feels special. (laughs) (laughs) It feels special. So like that really sparked that for me further love for like in-game puzzles and figuring out um, a maze in a in a dungeon like i i started playing dungeons and dragons because it's like this this seems similar this seems like the mm-hmm. same thing there are dungeons and dragons that. there are dungeons and there are dragons so yeah. <laughs> it is the logical next step mm-hmm. um it also like like i mentioned earlier like i've learned the value of patience <laughs> growing up the value of like taking your time um how rewarding something can be when you finally like get all the way through it and you've like won you've like won at the end you get the a great fulfilling thing at the end you get to know what happens next that just like just stuck with me also like it's just a really good game um it's a great like nerd thing it's it's beautiful i love a dragon um i'm not <laughs> I'm not above saying that I love a dragon just because it's a dragon. I love a good dragon. Any game that lets me be a dragon cannot be too bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just it's it's fun, um, and it gave me it gave me a, a a world to be in where I could figure things out in ways that made sense to me, 
and ways that were like safe and and cool and interesting and allowed me to like be in the shoes of someone who had a different kind of power to change things and you know how I can figure out how I can change things in real life it's lovely Thank you. Only thank I you can't so turn much. into a dragon, so. <laughs> Would that we could. Um, <laughs> yeah. What kind of dragon do you think you could, if you could transform into a dragon, like what kind? Uh, such a good question. I don't know if you've ever played Ark, Survival of I'm familiar with it. Love Ark. So there is one of the maps that's kind of medieval-y, and they have wyverns, and you can collect the wyvern eggs and hatch your own wyverns. There's a poison one. That. I'd be that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, hey, uh, that was a very comprehensive uh, answer to the impact question. So that really wraps up all of my notes that I have here in Breath of Fire. Is there anything else that you have to say about the game before we move on here? Um, I would like to tell everybody that you should play the game. Or if you don't think you have the time for it, like you can watch someone else play it. There's always that. And then you get the story as well. And the story is very good, and I think it's very worthwhile. Well, I appreciate you uh, introducing me to this game. It really meant a lot that I got to play something that meant a lot to you. Before we wrap up this episode, I always allow a little bit of space for the guests to give some recommendations based off of their enjoyment of the game that we talked about. What would you recommend to listeners? And it doesn't have to be restricted to games. It can be movies, TV shows, music, etc. What would you recommend to people who enjoy Breath of Fire? Ooh. Mm. So if you're into... <laughs> I have a large collection of romance novels. If you're into romance novels and you're looking for like a magical medieval romance story, there is a series of books about Merlin's daughters. And the first one is Daughter of Fire. And, um, you know, she focuses on fire magic. And I think that that one is a, it's a really good, like, romance, heavy medieval magic book that you can read. If you do not want romance and you're just, like, into the fantasy genre, I feel like Ink Spell is a good, like, overall fantasy book. Like, I feel like if you like Breath of Fire, you would like Ink Spell. Like, the, the Venn diagram of people who like both is a circle. Yeah. <laughs> like a, or just, like, one circle. So the Inkspell series, there's also a movie with Brendan Fraser, and I personally think the movie is great. It it bombed in, like, apparently it bombed, like, I don't know why. It went, like, triple platinum. In the mm -hmm. <laughs> I watch it so many times. It's on Max. I rewatch it every now and then. I think it's, I think it's great. Like, you could read a dragon into the real world. Yeah, Brendan Fraser does the audiobook for Inkspell. He does, and he's very good at it. You should get the audiobook. Like <laughs> I, I think he has the perfect. He has a really good reading voice. Like yeah, you know, some people actor. have like a really good voice for like narrating and for reading. Brendan Fraser has a good voice for like fantasy stories. You'd also like the Mummy if you like Breath of Fire. <laughs> you like the Mummy again. <laughs> the Venn diagram for that is a circle. In two years, uh, we're going to see Brendan Fraser play uh, <laughs> Ryu somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Again, that would go triple platinum in my home. Yeah. Speaking of like people who have like really good uh, narrative voices, my fa one of my favorite books ever, possibly my favorite book, is uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And 
Dan Stevens, the actor who's in movies like The Guest, he is um, in the TV show Legion. Mm-hmm. Great actor, terrific actor. He narrates the audiobook for uh, Frankenstein, or he's like, there's an audiobook where he narrates it. And that is very much worth seeking out if you listen to audiobooks. Nice. I I like Frankenstein. I like the old, like the classic monsters. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually just got Carmilla from the library. If you don't know what Carmilla is, it is a vampire story that is older than Bram Stoker's Dracula. So if you like, if you like vampires, read one of the original vampire stories, Carmilla. And it's about a female vampire at that. So there's, there's like been a couple movies made um, based on it. But I would recommend reading the book first before you watch the movies. Although, if you want to do the opposite way around, like the one that is the movie that's currently on Shutter, which is a platform for horror movies only, is a really good one. Yeah, good to know. Any other recommendations before I give mine? Um, Aragon. If you haven't read Aragon, read Aragon. I feel like you'd like Aragon if you like Breath of Fire. I remember reading the first book in a uh, middle school. It's good. It's so cute. I just like. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm just a fantasy girl. Like dragons is just like the thing for me. It comes through. And I really, I really appreciate your enthusiasm for it. I have a couple of recommendations here. We talked about it earlier. Uh, If you like Super Nintendo RPGs or top down RPGs and you haven't played Chrono Trigger, what are you doing? Let's get in there. (laughs) It, it's not, it's not dragony like Breath of Fire is, but there is an amphibian and his name is Frog and he's in your party and he's one of the coolest RPG characters ever. Frog is great. Yeah. Frog is so good and pure. Frog is great. Uh Chrono Trigger is like top 10 video games of all time for me. It is a super formative game for me. It is a, you know, huge just so many talents coming together to make the RPG and man, it is fantastic. It's great. My second recommendation, it's not a masterpiece, but it is something I greatly enjoyed. This movie came out this past year uh, in 2023 called Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. <laughs> We've talked about Dungeons and Dragons a lot through this episode, and it's a fun movie. It's not my favorite of the year, but it's a good time overall. It's fun. It's a funny film, but it's not like that kind of like obnoxious kind of quippy Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of sense of humor that sort of became like the dominant in like action movies. This is just like, yeah, it's it's a very fun movie. It's a, It does give the vibe of like, you know, it, even though it's set entirely in the fantasy world, it does feel like a group of people playing a uh, Dungeons and Dragons game together. Uh, so check it out if you haven't already. It's 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 a it's a fun movie uh, to spend a couple hours in. And um, I have two more recommendations. Go for um, it. Um, so three thousand years of longing. Watch it. Yes. Watch it, please. Yes. Oh my God, it's it's so good. It's so good. Tilda Directed Swinton. by George Miller, who did the Mad Max series. Tilda Swinton, Idris oh, Elba. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I didn't see. I didn't know who the, who the director was. I just know that I like every single choice that they made. I loved it. I was like, this is great. This is I'm 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 riveted. I've rewatched it since I lo- watched it. I've rewatched it like twice, and it still is just as good as the first time, which I feel like doesn't happen often for me with movies. This it's really good. Um, and also, um, another book is the Priory of the Orange Tree. Yes, that's what I wrote down. No priority. Of the <laughs> tree. <laughs> to make sure I'm getting the name right because I feel like sometimes I like miss a word and then it's a completely different book. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, 
thank you so much for all those recommendations. Thank you for taking so much time to talk to me about a video game that means so much to you. Chelsea, this is great. Uh, you have a lot of great stuff online and people should definitely check it out. Please promote the hell out of yourself before you go. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter, which I think some people are calling X, but I'm not. Um, it's, <laughs> it's at Chelsea Herps. Herps as in herpetology. Um, herp is also a verb. It's the act of like going out and looking for reptiles, which I do a lot. Even birding is herping, technically, if you wanna if you wanna be that guy, and I will Evolution. be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Chelsea C H E L S E A. Herps is H-E-R-P-S. Um, I am also on Instagram. Um, my handle is different. Sorry about that. It's out to Chelsea. I thought it was clever when I made it. I'll change it eventually, I promise. And then I have a Redbubble store um, that is the same as my Twitter. It's Chelsea Herps. Um, I have a lot of cool stickers in there. But this year I am planning on doing like a full update. I, you know, I'm planning on moving more into drawing just animals I love in general and not just anoles. So you'll find a lot more different animal stickers on there um, and t-shirts. Also, I want to draw a lot of like video games and fantasy things that I, I really love and relate to. Um, so I will be sure to... Ooh, no, 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 no. Sorry. My cat started stretching and my <laughs> laptop's a touch screen and you almost hit like the end button. <laughs> oh, no. Um... Yeah. Uh, so I plan on adding a lot of fantasy um, related things or other things that I grew up with that are nostalgic to me, like making um, little like sticker sets that are related to that. So if you like Klonoa and you like Breath of Fire, look out eventually for things that I will upload there and Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this show. I'm going to include a link to the products you're involved in in the description of this episode so people can easily access that as well. Yes. Thank you again, Chelsea, for being on the show. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I am your host, editor, and promoter, Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this. Engagement helps the show, and your feedback will improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about Breath of Fire or any other games we've discussed, send a DM or leave a comment, and I will gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. That's on patreon.com slash Corner. You can find a link to that and the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. Select and Start is part of the Moonshot Network, which is supported by its own Patreon. Find out more on moonshotpods.com. The art for the show is made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. The show's theme song was composed by Mike Petrie. You can check out the links in the description for all of their works, as well as Chelsea's. All right, I think that's it. People live and die as countless as the stars in the sky, as fleeting as foam and water. Why are we brought into this world, only to depart so quickly? On a cosmic scale, our lives flash by in the blink of an eye. I don't care for Joe.